advice do you have for younger generations? Younger generations? Live in the moment! Don't get old! Don't judge people! Because you can't be free if you judge people! Love now! Create! Inspire! Welcome to Geek Actually, episode 16, the podcast about everything and nothing filtered through the geek perspective. I'm Dave McVeigh, and I'm joined in the studio by Dave Longo. How are yeah, you? Yeah, boy. Uh, what's with Shia LaBeouf? Come on. <laughs> it's this crazy uh, homeless guy spouting advice to people on the streets. It's amazing. You should check it out. It is It yeah. is quite phenomenal. We'll put the link in the show notes yes, for him. Uh, Jamie Lawrence is also in the studio with us. Jamie, how are you? I'm having a serious case of deja vu right now. So. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. doing fantastically. That, um, that homeless guy looks disturbing. Like Nicolas Cage, yeah. it's like the greatest Nicolas Cage performance you have not. It's seen. Nicolas Cage <laughs> yeah. and and Alan Moore's love child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Alan Moore if Alan Moore wasn't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> If he wasn't crazy. Oh, dear. All right. I just thought so. it would be perfectly apt to start the show considering that- you know, Oh, we're talking like, about some loonies later. Let me tell you. We're talking about the, the bins wide open. As just to uh, let our let our listeners know later in the show for our future Give me the bat, Wendy. Give me the bat. Later in the show, because uh, there's no major release at the cinema this week, we're kind of- Finding something else to have a look at, and we thought well, there's a couple of there's a pair of documentaries that we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. um, over the last uh, six months, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, let's talk about both of them because documentaries don't have a whole lot in like plot and you know what have you. So we can mm-hmm. kind of squeeze two of those together. I think so. Um, so we're going to talk about the death of Superman lives. What happened? Mm-hmm. Um, which is the document the kickstarted documentary about the making of yeah. Superman Lives with no, Nicolas I thought, Cage. No, I thought you were going to say it like, well, the first movie we're talking about is about a crazy guy who spouts off lunatic crap and the second movie is about Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> and the second movie is Going Clear or the entire title is actually Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief, yes. um, which is an HBO documentary, which is... Um, Wow, we will talk about that a little bit later because it is there is a lot to talk about with that one in particular. Um, but we, as usual, we start the show with other bits and pieces. And I thought, I don't, I haven't had time, Dave. I'm really sorry. I haven't had time to redo the theme. Uh, but I have noticed as well that I don't have the theme on the so board. So disappointing. No, I don't have the theme on the board. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to make... Wait, wait. Oh, I can do we it We can improv. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought... So I think we'll start with a little bit. We'll start with a little bit of this. Your move, creep. And then a little bit more of this. And then a little bit more of this. And then we'll go this. You believe any of this voodoo bullshit, Blair? I was gonna do the whole like. So what we're actually coming to is our impending robot apocalypse. Yes. 
Interesting. We haven't done this in a few weeks. No. It has, it's been a, Tell been the like, people in case they don't know what it is. I'm getting there. We've been, <laughs> we've been, li- we've been lying a little bit low on this because there hasn't been a huge amount of news or movement. But this week, we believe here at the Geek Action Network that you know it's not zombie apocalypse. That's a fairy tale. Come on, let's face it. But robots could feasibly take over and rule yeah, the man. world at some point. The CDC's got our back. <laughs> the CDC's got our back. Yeah. Robots, however, uh, there is the very strong possibility because of human arrogance and the fact that we keep trying to make them smarter and smarter and smarter that we are going to fuck oh. ourselves up completely at one point. Wow. This particular robot uh, story was really freaky because um, this robot, you get a kick out of this, Dave, was actually designed to look like Philip K. Dick. Yes. And every word that Philip K. Dick had ever spoken has been programmed into oh, this wow. robot. Every interview. That is a Is it just me or does that seem like idea. a terrible starting yeah, place? It's a great that starting is, point. But it is an amazing start. Um, I, do, <laughs> I do have, there is some video of him. So let's have a quick little listen to this video and the show notes. Oh, his, his brain, a mesh of wires connected to a computer. Hi, Philip. My name is Chad. Hello, Chad. Let's chat. I live in Washington, D.C. I have two kids. Ah, um, so, I like kids because we can play, and I don't... As we chat, Philip's synthetic brain starts humming. Okay, so... <laughs> it gets spookier. Uh, we won't go playing the whole video, but you can. I think, I think, I think you had me spooked out at Philip K. Dick's face with wires at the back. <laughs> that was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Uh, what's scarier, though, is when he was asked, I'm just trying to find the quote here because the quote is brilliant. Oh, shit. He was asked, uh, you know, whether they believe that, you know, robots will take over the world. He said, he was asked, do you believe that robots will take over the world? And Android Dick, which is unfortunate phrasing, but Android <laughs> Dick said, Geez, dude, you all have to you all you all have the big questions cooking today. But you're my friend, and I'll remember my friends, and I'll be good to you. So don't worry. Even if I evolve into Terminator, I'll still be nice to you. I'll keep you warm and safe in my people zoo, where I can watch you for all time's sake. Whoa! So <laughs> we are not making this up. No, we're not making this up. This is what he said. I'm a massive Philip K. Dick fan, like huge, right? And like the. Did this, did this say they'd programmed it with every word he's spoken or yeah, every word every, that he's written? And both. Because he's he's there's a book called The Exegesis, which if you want the greatest toilet book ever, <laughs> ever made. Yeah. It's it's just the screeds and screeds of Philip K. Dick that he wrote with his theories of how the world worked, his paranoia, and it, it is it is stunning. Did you uh, it, did it you... is stuff like that? If they programmed the exegesis into this robot, the robot will be saying stuff like Then you look at the cat. And the cat's eyes show you the other universe that exists. <laughs> the scariest part know. of the scariest part of all of this is, as it talks to you, according to the article. When you actually read the article, look at the video. As you talk to it, it's actually learning from you. It's it's got facial yeah. recognition in its eyes, and so it's actually watching your facial expressions. It's listening to what you're saying, and it's composing thoughts based on not only the pre-built algorithms. But it's actually making new ones. And this is actually the scariest part of this whole thing. It looked exactly like him, though. I know. 100% photo Dave, real. Dave, you like, said you're a big fan of his work. Did you, yeah. did you used to like, troll bookstores looking for his stuff? No. He's, <laughs> I got a friend as well, Patrick, who's also obsessed with Philip K. Dick um, to the point where he's doing a thesis using a lot of his work. So I find out a lot of stuff about Philip K. Dick that's not really that popular. Like, there's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, obviously, and all the movies, but like in terms of your question of do I search out random things? Yes. 
and I end up with so you're telling to Jesus. me. <laughs> so you're telling me you go searching for dick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like fish sticks, Jamie? <laughs> well played, sir. Long time coming to that joke, man. <laughs> oh man, I thought he was wanting a serious intellectual conversation. I now, what's what's interesting? What's interesting if you remember? What's interesting about this article is if you go, I'll back, remember it for you wholesale, Jamie. How about that? <laughs> Do you remember when we talked about ex machina? Yes. And we talked about the fact that the filmmakers actually said the and and a lot of the uh, uh, science boffins out there were saying that it was actually really a unique idea, which was it searches out the internet mm. to actually learn, and it's learning about behaviors. Oh, Android Dick here is also doing this. Apparently, he is continually trolling the internet, learning from the <laughs> internet. This is this is yeah. ex machina coming. Yeah. This is early days of ex machina. This is scary. It really style. is, isn't it? Yeah, I. I- Desperately now that I've thought about that and connecting it to everything we've been doing this week for the show, I really want someone to go out and make a documentary called Looking for Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Look, looking for Dick in all the wrong places. <laughs> what, that- about, what about Tuesdays with Dick? Um, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's, let's move into what we've been watching. Yeah, yeah. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. My, 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 my TV makes me so bored, makes me say, oh my lord, what is this garbage here? Wanna cover my eyes and plug my I'm starting, I'm starting, I'm starting, I'm starting. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I went to watch this. I I brought my parachute pants this week, I was ready. (laughs) I watched Armageddon last night. <laughs> and I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> Once again, this is uh, the yeah. whole thing about going through films with Nicholas. I watched two films this week, both with Nicholas, because we things we wanted to watch. One of them was Armageddon yeah. last night, and the thing I had forgotten about, and Nicholas rightly pointed it out, was as soon as the credits came on, he went JJ Abrams, <laughs> <laughs> who is the co-writer of the film. Um, look, all I'm going to say about Armageddon is you know. 10 years, 15 years down the track or however old that film is now. Yeah. It's still a lot of fun. It yes, is the most yeah. stupid film yes. ever made. <laughs> and you park your... I love the fact that we're supposed to be doing this science heavy we're in NASA and yet the ships fly like Star Wars <laughs> ships. Because yeah, if you need astronauts, you get oil, oil Absolutely, miners, right? yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's easier to train <laughs> oil riggers to go into space than it is to teach astronauts how to dig, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the other film we watched this week, though, uh, was John Wick. I finally sat oh, down to watch John you Wick. You had not seen John Wick? No, and my Were God. Were you just blown sideways? I was blown out of my yeah. seat and my head exploded. Yeah. This is a mini masterpiece. Yeah, this film yeah. is so goddamn good. I think for the me, the entire film, I found myself just giggling to myself for the first half. I love the fact that John Luigi Zamo at one point slaps the mobster's son. Yes. And it's this big insult. So the mobster calls John Luigi Zamo and says, did you slap my son? He goes, yes, I did. He goes, why? He goes, because he stole John Wick's car and <laughs> yeah. killed his dog. And the mobster just goes, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part of that movie. And that's hey, the setup like the... for the film. It's like and all because it's all the little details. What I love is yeah. the conservative filmmaking. The, the 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 first half an hour of that film, they don't tell you anything. They mm. just give you little drips. You don't actually work out until twenty minutes into the film that he was an assassin. Mm. You just kind of go, well, he worked with Willem Dafoe at one point. He people know who he is. What's going? And it's like they just kind of drip out these little details, and they're building the story up rather than just going, this is who he is. Yeah. And they finally do that. 
but it's 20, 25 minutes into the film where they tell the story about he's the man the boogeyman's yeah, afraid yeah, yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great film. It's violent as all hell, but oh my God, I've it was fun. I've seen John Wick a few times. I absolutely love John said, Wick. I <laughs> said, we sat down and watched John Wick. Have you seen what the sequel's called? No. It's called John Wick, but it's two eyes. Uh, <laughs> I actually, as soon as I watched it and we were sitting down to watch Armageddon, we were saying, what are we going to watch tonight? We can watch this, we can watch that. And I said, I could quite happily watch John yeah, Wick yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's what I've been watching. Oh, beautiful. Two really great films. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> what you guys uh, got? I've been sick in bed, yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to the movies, I watched uh, The Gift. Uh, oh, yes. The Joel Edgerton directed movie that stars also him and Jason Bateman. And I absolutely loved this movie. Great. This movie is like, um, I kept joking to my friends during the movie that it was like the best Stephen King adaptation of a non of a book that was never written by Stephen King. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a massive Stephen King fan, as we all know. We're going to talk about King, I think, in a moment. Mm. But like, this this book is like a very, if, if you're a fan of King, it feels like it's adapting King. Really? Like, uh, it's, and I, I only thought about it jokingly for a moment because it was sharing so many similarities. Like, things like, you know, things that we did as children that now come to haunt us as adults and, like, all those kind of aspects. But then there was, like, a wine bottle with the Hedge Maze of the Shining on mm-hmm. it as its logo. Then there was a Room 237 where a lot of action took uh, place. And nice I began to think, like, you know, this might be a Stephen King nod thing. But anyway, irregardless of that, still a really, really, really tight thriller. I was super impressed with what Joel Edgerton did directing it. And um, yeah, I highly recommend this movie. Like, um, I don't really want to give out too much information about what the plot is, but it's just that Jason Bateman and his wife move into a new house. Uh, they move to where um, Bateman grew up and uh, this old friend, Joel Edgerton, shows up. And things build from there and the, okay. the less you know about it the the better it is because it, it it twists and turns and it's very quiet it's mostly like one location um and it just blows out into this really messed up like disturbing clever like really well filmed like um thriller film and it's like amazing because it's like you don't see these kind of movies made that often anymore no, no. like it's very it, it feels almost mid 90s and like it like so it, whispers like, in the dark era yeah like or yeah, should have yeah. starred michael douglas you know yeah, 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 like yeah. it's like that kind of thing and like um I we was, have the technology to put him in looking like the mid 90s yeah we do <laughs> don't we yeah. yeah and um yeah and i just i was really impressed cuz Joel Edgerton hasn't done much that's kind of been like known directorially i guess mm. like um this is his directorial debut but there's not much short films and you know um yeah he's produced so a lot though so. he's produced a lot so it was obviously a must see because it's joel edgerton directing a movie mm. but it blew me away with what a good job that he did and i can't really say much more about he produced it. Like, the square and stuff like yeah, that. yeah and him and his brother yeah. nash edgerton yeah yeah he's, um, the it's one of those names that you guys. see in the credits all the time yeah um yeah they the square is also a great film mm. this is a, a a fine film and it's not Australian either. Like it's like a full American production, you know, and he does this spot on American accent in the film too. And I was just really impressed, really impressed. Excellent. Very cool. It's always good when you have like the kind of, cause they have a kind of reputation as being like action numbskulls, mm. like um, pulp filmmakers. And then they move to Hollywood and create this really mature, really like adult thriller, you know? And nice. I was just really impressive. Jamie? I've given myself over to my Netflix Lord and Masters this, <laughs> this past week. 
So um, I caught up on uh, Muppets Most Wanted, which I hadn't seen before. I finally caught up with that a few weeks ago as well. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's a, it, it was a good Netflix movie. It was. <laughs> it's not as good as the first one. It's not as good as the first reboot. No, so. but, but you know, Kermit, Russian accent. Yes. You know, it, it worked. <laughs> um, I thought Ricky Gervais... He wasn't at his finest moment, but he was he was still having fun with it. And you could see that he was actually sort of happy to be working with the Muppets, which mm. you've got to be mm. if you're in Hollywood, I'm sure. I thought the weirdest character in it, though, was Tina Fey's character. Yeah. So a very odd character Bizarre. indeed. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, that, that was quite good. Um, I have binge-watched two and a half seasons of Archer now. Um, <laughs> uh, Lana. Which- Lana. <laughs> what? <laughs> Danger zone. <No. laughs> I love I love Archer. I'd already seen uh, the first season before and, and had fallen in love with it. But what I really love about it is I'm a, I'm a huge Bond fan. And I, I'm not talking about just the cinematic Bond. I've read all the original novels. Mm. I'm I'm I collect Bond. It, it's one of my things. So the fact that he looks exactly like James Bond is supposed to <laughs> and yet is this total moron is just it's so much it's fun. the modern day get smart it really is it is and in fact there's even a couple of callbacks i was watching an episode last night where he was in prison and someone suggested some ridiculous plan and he said <laughs> and he said missed it the first the second time maybe i'll get it the third time <laughs> and it was in the don adams voice you know like they, they clearly know their yeah. source material and there's lots of Marvel Comics references in there too, and it's great. Somebody loses an eye and he calls him Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was good. And to round out uh, our documentary watching this week, uh, I went on the recommendation of uh, of my good friend Luke to Netflix and found Lost Soul, the story behind uh, Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau, which is a much derided mm. 1996 film. I'm dying to see this. Uh, yeah, look, it's... The documentary is amazing. Um, it really does showcase the fact that everyone who worked on this movie was crazy. It was like, let's put all the really ridiculous people from Hollywood in together and Val Kilmer at the height of his career being as arrogant as possible to everyone. Uh, Marlon Brando just dicking around with the production because he could because he's Marlon Brando. Uh, the One of the wonderful things was uh, the American cast all came over to work in Cairns and they'd scouted out this location in Cairns that they that they liked uh, and they clearly had no idea what Australia was like <laughs> because you you hear the uh, the second director who came in to replace uh, Richard Franklin wasn't it yeah I think so, uh, so. oh Fra- no, Frankenheimer Frankenheimer that's it Frankenheimer sorry. yeah so you, you, there's an interview with him where he talks about the fact that he looked at a topographical map when he had been assigned to go and do this film and it has color-coded what the rainfall is like in Australia. And in the spot where they're filming is the absolute darkest point on the map. <laughs> Isn't this something to do with, like, it's Richard Stanley's dream project? It really, something? it was. Like, it, he was quite passionate about it and he had a really, he actually had a really good vision for it. And it it ties into some of the stuff we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, actually, about the role of a director, the role of a studio, the role of, of everyone else in the, in the, part, the piece. Richard Stanley came across as having a really clear vision for what he wanted this film to be, but he had no one in the crew that was able to help him convey that to the cast or to the crew mm. uh, themselves. And if you watch this documentary, I've seen the first 15 minutes of this documentary, he is completely inarticulate. He speaks a million miles, especially the archival footage when you see him from back then, mm. he speaks a million miles a second with no punctuation. Quite likable. Right. Yeah, And, and you, can see why, you can see why, you know, he would have been given uh, the chance but uh, but just 
very, very difficult for him to express himself and in the end turned out to be quite a crazy person himself. And if anybody's hasn't can't place him as a director he he directed previously hardware um and dust devils yeah. um and, and dust, he, Devil, he dust devils i didn't think much of but hardware i thought was really good i think i remember him he he wrote a draft of alien free i think something along oh, those lines maybe what one other thing that was wonderful about it was that uh the australian crew who worked on the film were also interviewed for this and they were basically saying yeah look we were supposed to be there for six weeks. We ended up being there about eight months. And in that time, we hung out. We had pot. We had booze. We had sex. We had a great time. It was a wonderful <laughs> experience. And then at the end of it all, we got to go away being part of the worst movie ever made. And we laughed about it. <laughs> and all the Americans are like, oh, man, those guys down in Kuld. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. QLD. <laughs> they did a terrible job you know? <laughs> but it, 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 it's great actually there is there's a couple of studio execs in there who are clearly just trying to palm all the blame off and you know but yeah. it was it's a really insightful documentary into the whole process hopefully the documentary because I, I haven't finished watching it i will sit down and watch the rest of it i mean i'm i'm hoping the documentary is better than the final film that got made because the final film is not very good no so. well yeah, the yeah. documentary is entertaining <laughs> and um I also, uh, I've been doing a bit of reading this week. So uh, recently Marvel re-released uh, two of my favourite series of all time. Uh, the Paul Jenkins, Jay Lee and Humans, mm-hmm. uh, which the way that the Inhumans are going, they're, they're very much becoming a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've got a movie on the way in 2019. They're in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. They're in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. Uh, you, If you want to become familiar with them, this, this graphic novel is pretty much yeah. the script. I have a copy of it. It's really it is good. amazing. Uh, it, it defines these characters in ways that they've never been done before. And before they went to the moon too. So this is that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or to space. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I've uh, that I've been reading is uh, War of Kings, which is where oh. they go and take over yep. the Kree Empire, mm-hmm. written by the same people who wrote the graphic novels that were the basis of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's Abnett and Lanning, isn't it? Abnett yep. and Lanning. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, so that's very very. Witty dialogue, uh, really engaging plot. You know, the basically to sum it up, the Inhumans are a product of Cree experimentation on humans, so they go and take over the the Cree Empire, their creators. Uh, but it's not a sort of a military coup. It's much more: you created us, we're more powerful than you. We're going to protect you, and then they can't because they declare war is declared on the Cree and uh, and they're decimated. Uh, so it's a really interesting, interesting it's, story. It's actually a really the War of Kings is actually a really interesting um, miniseries to read while reading the Guardians of the Galaxy run as well. It, it ties all, in. It all ties into yeah. that Guardians of the Galaxy run. So that's really good. The other thing that Marvel's put back into print, which makes me ridiculously happy, is Next Wave Agents of Hate. Which <laughs> yes, is, this is the Warren Ellis, <laughs> which uh, is due in a moment. Oh, yes. I almost bought this yesterday. Actually, it is. Oh. It is brilliant. Um, if we yeah, go to the shop later, me. I'll give you a copy. Oh. But <laughs> um, awesome. But yeah, Warren Ellis just set loose basically with with Z grade uh, Marvel heroes, <laughs> and uh, and just doing things like having them go up against Finn Fang Foom, who stuffs them in his pants. It's just, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so funny. funny. And and uh, there was actually when this book came out, Warren Ellis was very active on the internet. Uh, doing interactive things with the book. So there's a soundtrack you can go and download to go <laughs> with, with awesome. it, uh, including I think it's actually Warren Ellis performing the theme song for Next Wave. <laughs> so, yeah, really great stuff. Um, lots of fun and I've been catching up on it. Excellent. Boy, we've all been very busy this week. I like that. 
Now we need to talk Can about Can I mention Fight Club 2? I read the Oh, yes. I have, I've got it. I haven't read it yet. What's oh, it like? How's so it hold good. up? Well, because remember how there's a certain character that's supposed to arrive and bring meta mm. qualities? Yeah. yeah, well, that's happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's really good. Not being, being a Fight Club book, you really can't say much about it. No, you, you can't. You can't at all. It's the first rule. First rule. Yeah. First rule. Don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah, we just fail. And the second rule. Yeah, no. yeah. I also caught up with um, E for Extinction and Civil War. The Secret Wars ones, which were, were still really good, and Lando. Did you I read, read Lando? Lando? I read Lando. Yeah. Yes, Lando. Was we got good. the reveal finally of what's inside the ship that they're, yes. they're stolen. Yeah. But also, we finally got to see the Red Imperial Guards as badasses. Yes, we, yeah, we yeah. finally got to see them do something. They really are. They always look so badass. They always, <laughs> but they always just stood there doing nothing. Yeah. We actually got to see yeah. them fight and stuff like that. They're really awesome fighting the twins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was terrific. Um, yes, no, that was actually real. That was a good read. And I love the fact that Lobot's losing... Yes. He's losing control of his cybernetics. Yeah. And he's got to go in the band to... The, the back to tank. The back to tank. Yeah, yeah. the back to tank to, to heal. Otherwise, he'll lose He'll lose himself to the to the uh, electronics. Before we roll into our news, uh, can we talk about Dave's breaking news that he get brought us this morning? Oh, what the breaking news? Yeah. Yeah, oh, the sad news. The sad yeah. news. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, no, Let's just, get the sad news out yeah, of the way first. Just before we recorded, before we started recording, um, yeah, we heard the news that Wes Craven passed away, sadly, very sadly. This was really unexpected. Yeah. Um, um, I was actually unaware that he was even sick, but apparently he's been suffering from brain cancer, So, yeah. um, which is exactly what Tony Scott had, isn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Or he had onset Alzheimer's, maybe, or yeah. something. I can't um, remember. But uh, yeah. very sad news. Uh, Wes Craven, who of course brought us things like Shocker and yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. And Definitive the of horror stairs. director. Yeah, yeah, the Hills Have Eyes. Hills Have the, Eyes. The, um, the House on the End of the Streets. You know, like, An amazing, amazing... Um, one, uh, of the, one of the voices of horror. Scream. Yeah. Scream. Yeah. Scream. Uh, he is one of the key voices of yeah. horror from the 80s onwards. Uh, late 70s. Yeah. And he um, was one, one filmmaker particularly that was constantly derided a lot. Mm. You know... Um, but you know, for what he did accomplish, it's worth. It's like a worth, like um, what do you? I guess I don't know how to say it. And for you, you know, nerds, like, and for yeah. you nerds, lasting out there, legacy. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, beautiful. And yeah. for you nerds out there, let's bring this right back in and say he also directed Swamp Thing. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're supposed to be remembering the man fondly, David. Hey, I like <laughs> Swamp Thing over there. I love yeah. Swamp Thing. Well, this is the guy that created Freddy Krueger for crying out loud. Yeah, like, that's like. Monstrous. You know? I love that. I love the little anecdote about that. Apparently, when he created Freddy Krueger and unleashed him on the world with Nightmare on Elm Street, he didn't have any of the rights to the character. Mm. Um, and of course, New Line Cinema went on to make all these sequels yes. and made enormous amounts of money on it. And Wes Craven didn't see a dime of any yeah. of that, um, which is why he created the film Shocker because he was hoping to turn that into a franchise yeah. to create a new a new bad guy, which didn't work obviously because Shocker wasn't a very no, good success. He got scream in the end. But he got Scream in the end. But he also other thing came is, back to do the new Nightmare. Well, I was about to say, he came back and he reinvented Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street with New Nightmare, which was, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically a film within a film where the actors from the original Nightmare on Elm Street play themselves. Mm. As yeah, well as clever. as well as their film yes. counterparts, and he plays himself in it too. And he plays yeah. himself in it. It's real. It's yeah. fascinating. It's and it's actually this putting aside the nostalgia of the first one. It's probably actually the best best of the series. Was just his last purely film uh, Scream Four. I think, I, I think really it may have been. Scream 4. I love Scream yeah. One. I think Scream One is is genius. I think 
like uh, the film's lost a little bit of pace. But I always, I always on. felt with Scream that he he was never the one. I know this is kind of like a bit bad taste to say at the moment, but like he obviously brought a lot to that series. But I, I do think that that's more Kevin Williamson. Kevin Williamson kind created of thing it. That, yeah, yeah absolutely. like he's the writer of it all. Like um, Craven just comes on and does his thing. Like um, whereas the Nightmare on Elm Street's the more Nightmare on Elm Street was significant. His. It was yeah. his. It was his baby. Um, but yeah, he he did a bunch of films as well that didn't quite hit as well as they should have. Like People Under the Stairs and um, mm. and as a, the four, what was the werewolf one? Cursed. Oh, cursed! Yeah, I forgot all cursed. about I've cursed. Seen that. Yeah, yeah, I forgot all about that. That was. A I would. I would see everything he made in the cinema. Like, I, I think Red Eye as well was an. <laughs> Red Eye was. Him. Red Eye was. I'm trying really to get the IMDb. Good. I like that a lot actually. Red Eye was actually a change of pace for him because it wasn't a straight horror film. It was a tense thriller, and it also proved that you can deliver an incredibly tense film, which is just two actors sitting side by side. Because Red Eye, the first forty-five minutes of that film is, is just exactly them sitting that. on a plane, yeah. um, and it's really, really amazing. Uh, oh, he did two TV series. So thirteen and fifteen, he did uh, Castle TV series, and he was developing a Scream TV oh, series. Strangely enough, I saw the first episode of Castle this week. It's, oh really? Uh, it's the next next sort of series. I'm oh no, he wasn't developing. He was in it. Oh, yeah, he was, he was a cameo. Whole thing. I'm just trying to find the directing. Uh, this is gripping radio. Yes, it is. Oh, there you yeah. go. The ones with like an X. But next, it's worth doing. X is in the first column is directing. Yeah, so where I'm prepared because it, li- it literally, <laughs> literally broke, just broke just before. Scroll um, down. Scroll so down. It looks like down. Scream. Scream Four was. Oh, okay. Scroll yeah. down. Keep going. Yeah, Scream Four was his last directing job. So there you go. Red Eye. And, pri- and prior to that was my yeah. soul to take, which was not very good. Yeah, there you go. Well, what a life. There's the Jay and Silent Bob cameo. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, Vampire I mean, in Brooklyn. Man. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that too. My God. Um, yeah. Oh, Serpent and the Rainbow, one of my yeah. favorite films. So Serpent and the Rainbow, who have, those who haven't seen it, is actually based on a true story. Um, it's a horror film, but it's based on a true story. And it's basically about the uh, scientist who went to Haiti to find out about the drug that makes zombies, zombies? Yeah. Uh, to use in surgery. And, of course, they turned it into this whole mm. um, spiritual uh, horror film around the, the story. But it's based on a non-fiction yeah. uh, biography. It's I've actually really, I've read the biography. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's very really, fascinating. And a great film. Really good stuff. Anyway, we but should... But, yeah, Wes Craven, um, big life. Yeah, big yeah. life and you will be missed. Seminal, um, yeah. He he is definitely a loss in the. Uh, you know what? I'd feel the same way. I feel the same way about Wes Craven if we just found out John Carpenter had died. This would be the mm. same kind of level. These, yeah, we're, we're talking about people who basically shaped the industry um, in especially their own the way. genre of horror. Yeah, yeah, mm. and legitimized horror. I mean, let's face it: horror was always the the evil stepchild. Oh, very much so. And Scream put it front and center mainstream. I mean, just absolute mainstream. Um, anyway, so yeah, he will be missed. But we should move on with the rest of our news. And I don't actually have a general news category, but we still have our hooray for Hollywood, so we'll, we'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah. See, I told you I had one that faded down by itself. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start this week off with some comic book news. Uh, Jamie, you've brought some of this stuff to our attention. I heard about I this. I have. So. Oh, um, no, I thought you saw something else. So this yeah. week we've had uh, promo images drop for Captain America and Civil War. Oh, yeah. Uh, which show us the sides. Which I was actually surprised at um, on some of these. Uh, now, Dave, I know you don't like spoilers. Me too, but- man. I, well, I saw these. Oh, 
Hello, the pictures have been removed. Wow. The pictures have been removed. The pictures have been removed from that link. Anyway, we'll, we'll paraphrase it then. Uh, basically, on Captain America's side, I was very surprised to see the vision. Um, no, no, Visions visions with Iron Man. So, yeah. I, so Iron Man's side, I was very surprised to see the vision and I was very yep. surprised to see uh, Natasha. Yeah, yeah, Black Widow. Um, um, it's got them listed here, actually. So War Machine, Black Widow, Black Panther and the Vision with Team Stark with Bucky Barnes, Sam Wilson... Sorry, that was really poor. There's no comma here on this yeah, sorry. website. We won't With mention Bucky this Barnes, website. Sam Wilson, yeah. Hawkeye, Ant-Man, and uh, the Scarlet Witch. No, not the Scarlet Witch. And Sharon Witch. Carter. Sharon Carter. Uh, with on Cap. Team Cap. Yeah. And what, what was really important about this was Hawkeye wearing purple. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it also confirmed uh, it was Hawkeye wearing purple, no mention of Spider-Man, and no mention of Scarlet Witch, mm. which is the one that was really interesting. Uh, we don't know where she stands in all of this because she wasn't listed, but she is apparently in the film. So, well, I mean, there's a lot of oh, Black Panther was on Iron Man's side too. Black Panther was on Iron yes. Man's side. That's right, and it was concept art, but you know, he looked bad. Which is, I'm surprised <laughs> at considering that Stark had just destroyed half of his city. <laughs> I yeah, look, obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a bit different, but you, I, I would never expect to see T'Challa. Standing on that side of that. No, no. Well, no. If you're, I'm thinking about Age of Ultron, though, if you remember, yeah, the, yeah. the huge fight between him and the Hulk was actually in Wakanda. It was in Wakanda. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Where they've met laying waste of the city. Um, anyway, uh, we also have uh, Secret Wars, the yes. big Marvel Comics event that's going on, getting an extra issue. Uh, they decided that they're going to go to nine. What's really fascinating about this is that if you look at the uh, the promo image for it, right front and center of it are two characters that, theoretically, Marvel is disavowing at the moment. Mm. <laughs> Doctor Doom and Reed Richards. Well, actually, to be fair, they're not disavowing the characters, they're disavowing a Fantastic Four comic book. That's yeah. right. They're not giving them any more Do you think they were ammunition. waiting for the movie to come out? Possibly. It's, well, I don't know. I, don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, they've done the same thing with the X-Men. They, they are still in the canon. They still do exist, just like the Fantastic they're Four. They're just not producing their own book. But, well, they're getting their own... Well, no, in the... Post Secret Wars, they're not getting their own book. No. That's right. Mm. Um, so it's yeah, they're just not giving the licensees ammunition. That's what they they do. So if they don't give them any more Fantastic Four books, they can still use those characters uh, because I mean, let's face it, Doom has been pretty well established in Secret War at this point. So, Absolutely. So there's not a lot we can do about that. And Reed has is going to be the undoing of all of this. We can see this. It's the the groundwork has been laid in that story. Of course. Um, so Typical Richards. I know. How dare he? Just you? doesn't disregard <laughs> safety. you got to love him though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see this. At least I have to because I have his hair. I love, I love, <laughs> I love them. I don't see this leading into another Fantastic Four book though. I, don't, I think that no. embargo is still in pretty much. Not at all. But I just thought it was really interesting to note that, you know, when theoretically the Fantastic Four franchise is on the way out, uh, you know, that they're front and centre at the biggest event in the Marvel Universe this year. Can I say that the, the, the thing that surprises me most about this, and Dave, you're going to be the one to answer this one, Hickman. Yes. The man of immaculate planning. Mm-hmm. The man of uh, uh, <laughs> the man who has the next five years of his life mapped out on a, yeah. on a whiteboard with, a, with, with chalk and strings. Yep. <laughs> How did he not know he was going to do an extra book? Well, I don't know. Like, that's, <laughs> we all know how this thing, these things work out, though. You work with artists, and artists can take longer than announced, and you know, you know how it is. They want maybe want they put more ads in an issue. I don't think it's necessarily. I don't know where it's going to end as much as it is just delays and. Alternatively, we know they moved office recently as well. Mm. You know, and all sorts of things. Plus, the thing that's going on here with Secret Wars is they have like fifty tie-ins. Yeah, and the tie-ins are also dependent on 
spoilers and events that occur in the main title. So the if you've been following Civil, uh, Secret Wars as heavily as I have, where you've we've been reading like the majority of the tie-ins, a lot of the tie-ins are running parallel to the main event and some of the tie-ins have been delayed and then the main book's delayed and I think they're just trying to line it up so as not to hmm. spoil the, as you said, the strings and, and um, yeah. plaques and bits <laughs> of paper because that's what it really is like. It's like you have the Battle World series. I, I picture, have, I picture you know, uh, uh, Hickman's office as looking like stellar cartography in the Enterprise yeah. D. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the risk of, at the risk of crossing. <laughs> yeah. But see, I love Hickman. Like, I, I me think too. It's or Cerebro really, from the yeah. X Men movies. This is interesting. His, Doom, his Doom, Doom has been front and center from the beginning. Yes. Well, but Hickman, Richards was, and Richards is kind of, I don't know, in the background for the moment. Hickman the loves being. Doom and and knows how to write him. Heavy. His his Fantastic Four run was amazing. Mm. It was very Doom heavy and very good. Um, what the other thing at the risk of maybe crossing over into you know what we've been discussing with film. Is there the possibility that this is editorial? Let's stretch this out for another issue. Yeah, I'd say so because, like, the, at the moment, like, there's this whole DC debacle happening now where they're they're, they're losing money left, right, and center, and you know they're trying oh, we to. We have a story about that. Oh, yeah, this yeah. is the news too. And um and and the kind of thing is like the convergence titles didn't sell well, and whereas I think Marvel's just capitalizing. I'd say, you know, because Marvel like whether you sort of like what they do or not, they have a very clear vision and they know exactly what they're doing. And Can, the kind of thing is the other aspect, they're making a ton of sales. Yeah. They're killing it. And, and everyone's loving Secret Wars from what I understand. Like the general consensus is this is awesome. It's like a love letter to the history of Marvel and all the events. And mm-hmm. they're just knocking it out of the park. So like, it's no surprise to me, someone that's always championed, like I think if good, if good stories are made in comics, people will buy them. Mm. You know, like, uh, and you look at what DC is doing at the moment and whether you like them or not, it's pretty clear that they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, mm. you know, and I think that's that's what's happening here. Is we have Marvel's d- just bo- they're just they're they're extending out their sales. We have period. a DC story coming up, which we'll come to in just a second because there's actually there's been movement on that as well. Didio has there actually has talked a little. Yeah, bit this about. is what I'm excited to hear. Yeah. About, so connect, know. connecting to the the whole Secret Wars thing, um, this actually hit the top of trending on Facebook on Sunday. Uh, so this was what sort of the most looked at thing on Facebook is that there is a new Guardians of the Galaxy book coming out called, called Guardians of Infinity, yes. yeah. which uh, it has the the movie team basically with the Guardians 3000, the original team, and with what they're calling Guardians 1000, which are the Guardians of the Galaxy a thousand years in the future. Yeah. Uh, and is all, this the Guardians of Nowhere as well? All three that? all three teams. Yeah, well, Nowhere is yeah. the current team. Yeah. So all three teams basically converging through time paradox to work together and solve right. things. And every issue is going to have a backup story. And the first one has Rocket Raccoon and The Thing, who is rolling over into Guardians oh, of the Galaxy. makes me so happy. It makes me very excited. The, the Guardians of the Galaxy are just taking over the world. The new show's <laughs> out soon as well. Yeah, the cartoon. Yeah. See the cartoon. Yeah. I can't wait yeah. for this. Look, I, I'd be interested to read this. Guardians of the Galaxy is something that I'm very, very fond of. I'm very, very mm. fond of the Abnett Lanning run. Me too. Um, I read... The original Guardians of the Galaxy, which was the one set in the year three thousand, yeah, Yondu and back Captain in, Universe back in and all the that seventies yeah. and early eighties. I read that. Um, so Guardians, I have a very strong connection to. I love the film. 
it's left me a little bit cold lately. Mm. And uh, I have to agree. The well, Bendis who was writing it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing is, though, because yeah. I don't yeah. mind <laughs> Bendis <laughs> on the most part. Yeah. I just don't think that there is a clear line as to what they're doing with the Guardians. Yeah. When, we, yeah. when you look at the Abnett Landing run, it was a very tight 22, 23 issues, mm. and it had a through line all the way through it. They it sure did. And it had a finish line. You know I mean? It's like well, we it, got to a goalpost and we went, done. They essentially know? created the, the modern Guardians out, out of their story, Annihilation. Absolutely. Which, and this, this kind of stuff is like a thing that I've been thinking about quite a lot lately. You know, like the comic book stories in general with the superheroes with DC and Marvel mm. there seems to be like this current trend of like everything's got to be different everything's got to be changed everything's we've got to add new characters we've got to change the team we've got to make it more of a teen orientated Batgirl kind of we've got to change we've got to change, change and their response is like well we, we're tired of reading the same story over and over again so it's like are they trying to admit that every story's been told. And, and it's like, that's what I hate so much because it's like, you can tell so many stories with Batman. That's what makes Batman great. Just is, tell me a good one. And that and is the absolute perfect segue to go into this DCU because story. Because you mentioned the word Batgirl. Because you mentioned the word <laughs> Batgirl and you mentioned the idea of keep things rolling over and turning over. According to this article, Jamie, do you want to lead this off? All right, All right. so earlier this week, it was reported that DC was $2 million down and the editors were unhappy. This was supposedly all from a leak inside the company. Uh, and that they were going to undo all of the uh, the new DCU, YOU stuff that they've been doing. Which they only just created. Which they literally just created. It's, it's sort of three months in now um, because, uh, you know, it's been terrible for sales and they were going to go straight back to the, you know, the hard original line characters. Uh, and I'd be in for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be too. To be well, that, that, was, that was reported <laughs> earlier in the week and then uh, Newsarama came out later in the week actually talking to DC and they, and DC said no we're we're pretty committed to doing the DCU line and we we're seeing a dip in sales at the moment but that's swings and roundabouts of the comic industry and we've been through it before and we'll stay going keep going through it you know mm. see how things go the other thing is that uh, when that was initially reported um, I went and had a look at the the sales charts and DC Virtually every book they had was sitting solidly in the top hundred. You know, like mm. their their sales are not it's so not down. Plus, DC is also owned by Warner's. Yeah, like know, the, so. there is no real concern here. My yeah. my concern is not with their sales. I think their sales are going to be yeah. fine. They're going to be quite happy. My concern is what Didio had to say about it, which was when he said to, the response to all of this was, "No, no, the publishers on high." Basically, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but the publishers on high basically said they wanted to keep it fresh, keep it turning over, mm. and keep things changing. Basically, which is why we're seeing New Fifty Two, DCU, and 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 what worries me a little bit is that what we would like a little bit of in comic books, and I don't know about you guys, but what I'd like a little bit more comic books is a little bit more continuity. Yes, a little bit more. Can we have a run? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Can we have a story? I I actually don't want it changing every six months. You know, because I would rather get to know and love my characters. You know, and as much as the New Fifty Two bugged me. Uh, by middle of the way through mm. because of I th- think it was clear at least the idea was they stuck with it for a couple of yeah. years before they made their, their next big leap you know I just I look at this and I just go if we're just going to roll books over yeah. every couple of months or every few months going this doesn't work move on to another one because as Didio himself said he said R&D on comic books is cheap you put out a comic book if it doesn't work you get rid of it yeah mm-hmm. It's almost like what we were saying about the production of uh, of Next Generation, how they could see 
from week to week what the reactions yeah. were, mm. and they could alter. Yeah. Well, and what that does to me as a fan, though, is I look at it and go, I'm not getting attached to anything because I don't know if anything's sticking mm. around. Yeah. You know? Like, one of the books that I really liked, and I think it's still around, but it's probably on shaky territory, was Gotham After Midnight. Yeah. And I thought this was a really unique, interesting idea mm-hmm. for a book. And all I could think was, this isn't sticking around. This um, is, yeah. is going to be gone in a few issues yeah. because it's too dark. It's too out there. I'm you know? really enjoying the new Martian Manhunter book, but again, I've got similar feelings that I, yeah. I yeah, don't so know how long it's going to We all have stick. our favorite. I love Secret Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, Secret and like, Six I'm still reading DC. I've actually caught up with Scott Snyder's Batman. You know, and, and you're the, braver, you know, man. Than me. Yeah, and the kind of thing is like, like I, 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 I almost want to call it, um, you know, where's Batman? Scott Snyder's where's Batman? <laughs> it's always like we never have Bruce in it. Like, I know that sounds like such a fanboyish thing to complain about, but I feel the same way about all of them. Well, actually, the it's one, like the one, the one really big seller that they do have at the moment is JLA. Which is where Bat God is uh, is sitting at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tell you, the one book, like, the one I, I want to read JLA too, but like my kind of issue at the moment is sort of like it's like kind of like what Dave's saying. It's like I just why invest because in a few weeks they're going to be gone. The one book that has been consistent, they've kept the same story. They've they've gone through many arcs, but they've kept it very consistent all the way through. Is Jeff Johns' Justice League, mm. and that's a consistent book, and they're actually doing a really good story arc right now. I'm it's really, Brian Hitch's Justice League now. Oh, Brian Hitch's, <laughs> yeah, but that, that but whole, that, that, that arc, that league, yeah. and that continuation yeah. has just been just nail, knocking it out of the park. Well, you strangely know? enough, the other book that's staying consistent and that has lent its name to all of Don't this- Don't say Batgirl. Is, <laughs> is Batgirl, the Batgirling of the, the DC Universe is what they're calling see, it. I don't, I don't have a problem with that, though. Neither do I. Like, 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 the, way I the way that I see it is like they're telling an a, a awesome story that people are liking. It doesn't mean every other title needs that treatment. Look, exactly, I think, that's my point. I right? think there's a recognition here that times have changed a little bit and maybe mm. comics need to change with them. Yeah, I, well, comics like this is the kind of thing. I'm not like saying like we need to be anti-progressive and we need to no, not at all. We, we need to like you know stop um, you know with these old ideas. Like we, of course, the comic books need to change and evolve and become more modern and tell more modern stories. Of course, like um. But the kind of thing is, you can still do that with people like Bruce and Clark, you know, and Diana. Because do you know, like, what, you know what, do you, you know do what like, the DC universe is at the moment? It's baby bathwater, you know. <laughs> yeah, because it's look, they haven't thrown anything out yet. Yeah. But they haven't, got, like, and that, yeah. that's that's you know, you've got to be yeah. fair to them. But the kind of thing is like the way that I see, like this is the metaphor in my head. It's like you have this rich, rich well of characters and things that you know you can just you can get water whenever you want it from this well. But DC's only drinking from the the splashes. Of the, the well, bore, the bore you know, water the, drain, the, the water that's like <laughs> been splashed off when Marvel's come in and scooped from the well, and like it's been splashed on the dirt, and DC's like scraping Ooh, it up. That's, the that's connect- rough. <laughs> yeah, because this is the kind of thing. It's like because the kind of thing is like these characters have such a wealth of stories to tell. Still, you know, look at Star Wars coming out right now. Sorry, it's like look at what Star Wars. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> but Star, Star Wars coming out is a perfect example of this. It's like Star Wars. Uh, how many stories of Star Wars are we going to be able to tell? What, what can we do with Star Wars? You know, and you look at what they've done. They've done. They've created all these new characters, all these all these new things. Like there's still places to go but within they these kept, universes. They kept you know? the base continuity though. And that's what they're not doing with the comic mm. books at the moment. It's like they're sitting there, they're they're just completely rejigging stuff. You read the latest Starfire. I've been reading Starfire purely because it's written by Amanda Connor, but it's not the best book in the world. And the thing about Starfire that irritates the crap out of me. Oh, this, that's right, this isn't panels. Do you know what irritates <laughs> the fuck out of me? <laughs> 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 is yeah. the fact that they have completely 
ditched any of her history or continuity. It's like she's just arrived on the planet and she's playing yeah. the whole innocent, oh, I don't understand the ways of your earth and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, going, this character's been around for how long? Yeah. You know, and it's like, and we love this character and why? And this is the second incarnation of this because when the New 52 came up, they decided to ditch everything and turn her into a slot. Yeah. And then they, they've now written that away and they've turned her into the into a Cupid yeah. doll who and doesn't then, know anything. And then the older books, the, the great books that are in trades now, like for you the, go back to Mar Wolfman's books, where you know they're not making money off the trades. They're complaining about that. Well, maybe if you told good stories today, people might want to go and check go out back the and trade. Check. Exactly. You know, like, uh, and yeah. that's that's the kind. You look of like you've got an argument like, to that, Jamie. You guys uh, fighting words. Come on. You guys really miss panels, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> like, the comic wanna... is like very close to my heart, and the kind of thing is like at the, at the moment, like, like you know, image is the new vertigo, which was a quote from one of these articles that I read, which I like. To that's totally that's believe quite it. fair. Like, yeah. like we're living in a world now where there are no problems in the creator-owned industries, mm. where they're selling like fire. You know, like the the there's a boom with comicsology and like independent comic book artists and creators. Like it's booming now, better than it's ever been. So all the problems are happening with the big two that can't. All right, do look, anything. Marvel's gonna, idea is... <laughs> I'm going to take the bathwater that you are throwing out with the baby and into the well that you are throwing <laughs> it from and, and which Marvel is recycling. I'm going to take that water and I'm going to say that it is being used to plough some fields at the moment, okay. to, to, to water some new plants. Those fields can't grow fast enough at this yeah. point. <laughs> that's, but that's the thing. We yeah. are looking at a period of growth and change and the big two, as it were... Uh, they're not, they're not up on high on their pedestal anymore. And do you know what the problem is though? Is that all my and money is going on past trades? Yeah, all my money is going to the old stuff. Mm. But there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And that eventually, this new stuff will be collected into trade, and you'll go back and look at it. And I'm sure that you'll see stuff that you go, hey, if that had been coming out weekly and I'd noticed it, I probably would have liked it. Yeah, like I, I you like, know, and like, and I think that yeah. we've got to look at the long game here, which is that. Comics is in a state of flux at the moment, mm. and you just, you just said images. You know, image is now one of the big three, effectively, yeah. uh, because Marvel and DC, both of them, are not the untouchable heights that they were, mm. uh, and both are in some ways leaning on their parent companies. Yeah. I think, uh, and the cinematic stuff that's going on, and oh, particularly Marvel. Marvel yeah. is very much dependent on its cinematic mm-hmm. universe. Yeah, and DC is going to kill it. And as I said, you know, we're with, looking um, at a no, time... Not, not kill it in the negative sense. They're going to do extremely well with like the Justice League yeah. stuff. But I think we're looking at a time when the readership is changing, when a new generation mm-hmm. is coming up, and when the old generation is reluctant to let go of of their visions of comics. I don't know. I think I, I'm still a bit And that's, that's not a shot. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. you know, yeah. like, I think yeah. that there is a, a like, really look, core readership. Important, that, you know. It's DC, always going to have a core readership. But I'm starting to feel like like new Coke... This is new Coke. It's like uh, give me back classic. You know, give me back classic Coke for see. I, I don't fuck's think. Sake. I don't <laughs> think. Sorry to, you know. I don't think it's like, new Coke. I think this is a new flavor entirely. Like, and I think that it's yeah. going to take is, a little while to catch on. This is Coke life with stevia at the moment. <laughs> but like, see, this is the kind of thing. It's like, like, but this, this is the kind of thing about DC that 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 Marvel's done the complete opposite. Whereas Marvel will go, people might like new Coke. Let's still offer Coke. But we'll give them new Coke as well, because then they won't be pissed off, you know. Whereas DC goes, 
fucking close the factory. <laughs> close, you know, the Coke is actually shit. I know a lot of people love to drink it, but it's actually shit. I would actually, Let's give them new I Coke. would have agreed with you, Dave, on that, on that analogy. I would have agreed with you perfectly, except Marvel has also closed the factory at the moment because Secret Wars does not resemble our Marvel at this point. No, the Marvel opened the factory and said, you want cherry Coke as well? Here it is. You want vanilla Coke? Oh, yeah. But no, like- but, well, no, but see, DC is... Currently, you're right. They've put out their their Coke with Stevia. But but their long-term plan, and they have said this, is to replace bottles of Coke with a tap, (laughs) several taps for each different kind of Coke, and you can pick your own. Uh, You know, they want to be able to to tell stories that connect to their past. They want to be able to tell stories that connect to their events. They want to be able to tell stories that connect to where they're going now. And they've blown open the multiverse so that they can do that. Do you know what the problem with that analogy is, though? It's the multiverse was blown open, what, two months ago? Mm-hmm. We have not seen any evidence that this is happening yet. All That's we right. have seen is basically a reworking of the New 52. Yeah. And we haven't seen anything about bringing back any of our old stuff or merging anything. They're talking a good game. They're not actually walking the walk at the yeah. moment. That's you know? true. We do, we do need to see something. Yeah, we need to see them say, okay, let's see... You know, old school uh, Green Arrow take on new school whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like let's let's see them prove to us that this multiverse yeah. is is blown open. Mm-hmm. Prove to us that the New Fifty Two is a thing of the past. I just wish prove to us all yeah. of this. And stuff, I, I know, you know, I think I know the way that they should do it, which is like they should just treat the characters like that they're real. Mm. Like the characters aren't just modes to like get on some like cynical progressive stand. Are I think, you, yeah, you, know, like, you know what it is. Are you telling me that Superman's not real? <laughs> Superman is real, but they're making him a joke. Oh, you know what it is. Cartoon. Actually, I'm going to rephrase that you know? statement of like, yours, Dave, and I'm going to say they need to start treating their characters where, arguably, and Marvel people are going to shout up and down, but I'm including them in there as well. Arguably, out of the top six superheroes of all time. Let's let's no not mince words. DC is probably responsible for the top three. Yeah. Okay. They have the holy trinity, the holy trinity of superheroes at this point, right? Yeah. And they treat them with no respect whatsoever. Yeah. And that's and that's the problem is that there's no respect for them. Yeah. There's none. And the kind of thing is like the like like in terms of the progressive stuff, like. I'm 100% for it, but I think the way to do that is you need to have really liberal-minded writers and creators, whereas it doesn't come across like a gimmick or, or any crap. It's just you represent life how it is now, and we're living in a good time, you know, and, and represent it, you know, like, but don't represent it in, like, some, like, statistic, like, bullcrap way, you know, like, oh, teens read comics, so let's make, like, a bunch of superhero teens. It's like, that's not the way you do it. Like you do it like, you know, I'm telling a story and the story involves these characters who I relate to because I know real people like that. Like you're reading Archie. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. No, 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 I'm serious. Yeah, Yeah. Archie's actually a great great example of this because yes, there's a new Archie. Mm. Yes, it's a very different take on Archie. It's an amazing book, but original Archie books are still there as well. Yeah. You know? And if you don't like this new take on Archie, you can always go back yeah. and look at your old Archies. We've got classic Coke still hanging around. Yeah. For More me, Archie for, versus for Predator. Me, for, me it's not well, <laughs> for me, it's not much of as a, as a complaint of like, well, DC's not changing anything or, or, or a want of like, DC should be just the same. Like, we should get the same issue every time yeah, yeah. you're buying. It's not that. It's not like the fanboy whining of like, that's not my Batman. You know, like, it's not that. It's more just, I want good stories that seem to have and weight you know and well, to go sum somewhere. Up. And I want Batman. Yeah. I don't want some RoboCop yeah. wannabe 
Commissioner. I want Batman. I'm sure yeah. you'll get him back. And soon that enough. kind of thing is like that's why these characters have been. I know we're harping on for ages now, but like the, the, that's that's <laughs> that's why these characters have been around for 50, 60 years. Absolutely, it's because. They are the perfect models to tell so many stories. Mm. To sum it up, I think that this whole thing was pretty much a sensationalist piece by a website and that's where a lot of it has come from. It's definitely connecting to genuine issues. But really what it comes down to is I think we just need to give DC a little bit of time to find its feet Mm. with what it is doing. And to revisit its old stuff and totally. do all the things I'm we not, want. I'm not spending nearly yeah. fucking hundred you know bucks every week on comics. Do you know what it nothing. is? Like, yeah. like the kind of thing is like that's why I'm I'm scared to death by this stuff. That's why I'm so passionate about this stuff because I don't want DC to be losing money. No, of course no, not. And do you like, know what it know, is like, as well? Is I it just DC shows win, you, you know? how much emotion is wrapped up in all of this at the moment? Absolutely. By the fact that this can spark such a wildfire of mm. debate mm-hmm. because we're all sitting on a bit of resentment over all of this because we've been sitting on resentment since the New 52. We've been sitting on resentment for New the last... New 52, go back to crisis, buddy. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I'm yeah. thinking just since since four years ago, since when panels started mm. effectively, uh, we've been sitting on this angst about the DC mm. universe. Marvel, to its degree, has had its problems here and there, but the the DC universe in particular has been in a state of flux. We say we got to yeah. give them time. How much? They've yeah. had a lot of time yeah. to try and figure this out. You well, know? I, again, I, like, I don't think we've already spent a bit of time on this, but I think mm-hmm. the New 52 actually was a really successful experiment. From monetarily, yes. Well, no, I think story-wise as well. I think there was some yeah. good some stuff great in there, stuff there. Yeah. but we also lost so much as well, you know? And that's the thing. I mean, there were and so I, many books also, about- There's also that element of it, Dave. Sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but there's also that element of the of the New 52 where a lot of the best stories were ones that completely ignored the continuity of the New 52. And isn't that a problem in itself? That though, was the know? problem, really, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. They started from a point of, okay, Jeff Johns, you do what you want. Yeah, exactly. All right, Scott Snyder, just pretend like, the new 52 didn't happen. You know, like, it was so much of that going around. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, we are going to give Star Trek a miss this week. Okay, uh, yeah, We'll skip enough. that because yep. we've, we've, we've had a bit of a... way over. We had a bit of a, a, a comic book chat, so we'll, we'll give that a miss. But we do have a little bit of film news, so let's uh, shoot over to film news. And uh, let's see, we'll, we'll have a theme for film news now. We'll say, how about this one? And the truth shall set you free! There you go. Okay. So, uh, uh, I have a soft spot for Jim Carrey. That was a pretty good impression, James. <laughs> um, I'm just going to throw out there one of the stories that I threw out. We won't do these in order. We'll do these in whatever order we want. I'm going to throw it out there and say last week, as a follow-up to last week, Ronda Rousey uh, has you know has been campaigning to play uh, Captain Marvel and the fans have gone out there and put her in costume. So Axel Braun, and if that name doesn't ring a bell, I'll help you out in a second, but Axel Braun has offered her $3 million to play Captain Marvel uh, in the new Captain Marvel A Porn Parody. <laughs> Axel Braun is responsible for things like the Avengers Porn Parody, Captain America the Porn Parody, and all of the other porn parodies that are coming out through that company. Um, I would imagine, apparently she has to perform three uh, sex scenes and it's a five-week shoot or something like that, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I, I imagine she's going to say no. Somehow, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine she'll say no. But anyway, so there's your follow-up. <laughs> Axel Braun's right there. He says, yes, I will cast her. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Jamie. Um, what else have we got? I want to talk about this Paramount hates Trekkies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, Paramount really does hate Trekkies. So uh, Blu-ray releases of Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, I remember this well. Yeah. They've been using... Special features on the DV- on the Blu-rays as retailer exclusives, mm-hmm. uh, and apparently there's something like 200 hours of 
extra footage altogether, which has been divvied up into different versions for different countries and different retailers. God, I hate this practice. Um but this is... Uh, I remember I actually got a digital copy on iTunes, even though I have the Blu-ray, just to get the audio commentary. Oh, really? Yeah, but the commentary was awesome because they stop and start it and it's multiple different... Right, right. It's a really good commentary. This is this is slightly older. They draw but, on the screen. But I came across it this week and, and I thought that I would just bring it up. Um, Paramount, their involvement with Trek now seems tenuous. I mean, they, they own it and they make money off it and that seems to be all. Mm. Dave is looking at the heyday right now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know when it was actually a key mm. property. Um, how does this? I mean, how do we feel? How does this compare to what we what we went through when we were tra- when we were seeing it for the first time? You know, which one, the Blu-ray with the special features? Or well, yeah, like I don't remember them being this money grabbing. <laughs> um, well, no, I think this isn't this isn't a Star Trek this isn't a Star Trek exclusive thing. We've mm. been seeing this for a while now. Uh, this um, idea of the different editions of Blu-rays, this whole money grab thing, the idea of releasing four or five different versions. I think the most heinous of them all was just recently from Fox, which was the rogue cut of X-Men. Because effectively I watched it and effectively it is (laughs) rogue was doing what uh, shadow cat was doing throughout the entire thing. And effectively, that's it. There's one other scene where they break her out of a prison. And you sit there and look at it and go, I didn't need to buy the film again yeah. just for that. That mm. should have been a deleted scene on the disc. You yeah, know? That's- so the idea of releasing that as an entire new version mm. of the film. It's 20, is- 20 extra minutes or something, isn't it? No, it's 20 new minutes. But it's replacements. Mm. So it's, it's, it's only about five minutes or six minutes longer. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a joke. I mean, that's the thing. And I, you look at it and go, I just yeah. it, it, that, that sort of practice irritates me. It's not like mm. the Hobbit extended editions or the Lord of the Ring extended editions, which significantly change yeah, the film. and give you like a hundred And then give you a million thing, special yeah. features and what have you. This is where they go, oh, here's this version. Oh, by the way, here's one where a crew member burped in one scene so you can buy it again <laughs> yeah. just to hear that burp. And yeah. oh, look, and It's this like one, The Simpsons with the Malibu Stacey. He's got a new hat. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, no, I'm sorry. The line has to be drawn in the same The line must point. be drawn here. <laughs> no further. <laughs> <laughs> there, there has to be a point where you just go, and I don't want to have to go into a shop and look at the shelves and go, all right, there's five versions of this film on the shelf. Which one do I buy? Oh, that's right. You know, it's like I'm, uh, I'm just yeah. Mm. Trekkies are are continually done, but over, think about it. Marvel fans are being done over the coals right now because every release that's being released in Australia is substandard compared to what's being released in England or what's being released in America. Each country, the American discs all have commentaries, special features, bonuses. We get squat. We get rotted every time. And so we're buying them here because they're PAL and they're they're our films and we're trying to do the right thing. But then we, of course, go and buy it again Mm. when we buy it from overseas because we want all those bonus features. That opens up another ridiculous, you know, why do we even have region locking anymore? I don't know. And the thing is, region locking in Australia under for for DVD, and we should specify DVD, not Blu-ray. DVD was actually deemed as anti-competitive, and by the ACCC, region locking was outlawed. That's right. So basically, when you buy a DVD player in this country, if you say to them, "What's the unlock code for the DVD player?" they have to give it to you. And most retailers have it slipped in the box. They show mm-hmm. you how to unlock your DVD player. Blu-ray came along after that and somehow managed to circumvent that. And so Blu-ray still has region locking. And you sit there and go, but why? And some companies obviously agree because no disc Warner Brothers sells has region locking on it. So you buy an American Warner Brothers disc or an Australian, Mm -hmm. no region lock. Fox, 
locks it down like a son of a bitch. You know, Fox has locked it down. Sony's just locked it down. just makes no sense. No. And so you sit there and you go, I don't... Yes, surely, I, red tape stuff. Is surely it has to be easier for them just to produce the one product yes. worldwide. And the whole idea of digital as well was to try and get rid of the whole PAL NTSC standards and all this sort of stuff was to try and make a digital format that was across the board. Doesn't that make so much more sense than having... Anyway, don't get me started because this is a bugbear from way yeah. back. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. <laughs> as like, a collector, um, this goes way back. As, as someone who's like just getting into Trek now and has become quite obsessive about it, like there's only really one thing that I, I want. There's a lot that I dream about. Like I think Trek should come home to TV. Like yeah. I really do think that like it is actually- should be a new show. But I can understand why they don't want to do that and focus on the movies. I get that. But the only thing I want is just definitive home versions. There was a rumor going just around. Just do Dean Space Nine Voyager and that's it. Get us, get it done. There was a rumor going around a few months ago that Paramount was looking at a new TV series uh, based mm. in the Abrams universe. I'm sure they're always looking, hey. Well, they're thinking about based in the Abrams universe, not the Abrams crew, but the Abrams universe. Mm. And to create a new Star Trek. We haven't heard much since, so I don't know if it's going to happen, but uh, I would be down for that. I would be down for a weekly Trek series again. I think it would be fantastic. Anyway, that just wore me out. All right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one of my friends, Paul, pointed pointed out to me this week as well, uh, this uh, online auction site called Prop Store, which auctions off memorabilia or actually pieces of movies and uh, and, uh, TV shows. And for some reason, the site doesn't want to load right now. But one of the items on there is the original Ambassador Class Enterprise C model used in Star Trek The Next Generation. And that is awesome. DS9. Oh, wow, look, the clapperboard from Alien. <laughs> and um, With original chalk. <laughs> it's expected to go for between forty and £60,000 US, so we probably won't be getting it for the studio. But... <laughs> Hey, but, there's something from Armageddon. But there is. <laughs> <speak of> the <laughs> devil. But I thought I'd show you guys this site because because there is just so much fun stuff on it. Um, the most ridiculous things that you could. As a page from the Almanac from Back to the Future. <laughs> Marty's note to Doc. That yep. is awesome. You can buy the original Marty's note <laughs> to Doc. It's great. So, um, yeah, just uh, go and have a look at uh, Prop Store. Uh, oh, is that the original? Um, wow. We sound like a sponsor ad. We're not. We're, no, like, we're not sponsored like, by them. We, no, just, no, want, no, we just want awesome. to buy there all the stuff. Really cool stuff. <gasps> it's the, Riddler, the Riddler's cane. <laughs> <laughs> nipples on the batsuit. <laughs> Complete with nipples. Battlestar Galactica helmet. Yep. Oh man, this is good stuff. So lots of lots of cool stuff, and it's all ridiculously priced. And you probably, unless you're you know, amazingly wealthy. And- this is a rich people store. <laughs> If you if you are amazingly wealthy and you want oh, to go the, shopping the on this site, phone from sponsor Blade our Runner. podcast. The video phone from Blade Runner. Come on, just donate <laughs> donate ten thousand to us, please. Guys. <laughs> I'm looking by the Born Identity's pistol, 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 pistol. Gripping radio, guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, just close that. Close that. We'll be looking at it all day long. <laughs> no, thank you, Jamie. I will be going to have a peruse through. Oh, that thank later. you, Paul. And, uh, and uh, that brings us to Rogue One. Yeah, look, this was uh, this was a really interesting. I saw this originally on Geek Tyrant, and I went and actually followed it up on uh, Slash Film and a few other sites that were talking about it. Apparently, uh, they've made the decision to shoot Rogue One on digital sixty-five mil camera, uh, digital sixty-five ca- uh, captures, uh, but they're going to use the same lenses that uh, Tarantino is using on the sixty-five mil shooting of Hateful Eight, effectively making the uh, aspect ratio of this film uh, two seven nine to one, which is. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, as, as big as Ben-Hur, basically, mm-hmm. quite literally. Um, this is going to be an immensely wide film. What, um, it, what it basically translates to is that there are very few cinemas in the world that can actually play this film. They're going to have to crop this down like a son of a bitch. Um, the average film, just to put this in perspective, the average film uh, in widescreen. So when you go to the cinema, the two formats that you're generally seeing are 185, which is the equivalent to our 16 to 9 television sets, uh, or 235 to 1, which is the widescreen scope. That's the big rectangular screen, and that's where you get the letterboxing on your 16 to 9 television sets. This is going to be 279, uh, sorry, 276 to 1, uh, which is much wider. It's actually the format for 65 mil. Um, to put this in perspective, not many films are shot in this format anymore, and very few cinemas can actually show this size natively. The Cinerama Dome, I believe, in um, uh, Hollywood is one. They can actually, it's got the big wraparound screen. Uh, they can do it at IMAX, but IMAX is designed to be square, so it'll actually be heavily cropped to the center of the screen. Um, most cinemas would have two, three, five screens will still have to crop down or give you black bars top and bottom to actually bring that into perspective. This is going to be an immensely good-looking film. Um, I was actually uh, uh, looking at this as well because I went I was following up on a little bit of um, uh, news on uh, Ben-Hur, and... Uh, I was fascinated to read that uh, Weiler, who directed Ben-Hur, hated the widescreen format, and he was forced to do this massively super wide format. Mm. Um, But he hated it. He said that you either had big empty areas of the screen or you had to fill it with so many extras to make it look full that they all stood around looking at nothing because they had nothing better yeah. to do. He hated it. Just hated the format. Yeah, <laughs> but, right. Uh, it's interesting. Other directors yeah. revel in it. Um, uh, John Carpenter has never shot anything less than 235 mm. and he believes that that's the format of cinema. Mm. Um, and people, I mean, I, I was saying to Jamie before the show, I think if you're going to shoot in, if you're going to shoot in full 235 or 276 in this case, you have to be prepared to really know how to use mm. negative space. Yeah. An interesting one for people to look at is the two Avengers films. Yeah. Because the first one's shot in 185. Normal, and then yep. the second sequel was done in 235. Mm. Yeah. So it's and an interesting comparison. Yeah, you yeah. can see this. one of the big reasons, I guess, would be height and people. Well, studios still want you to style. shoot in 185. So studios want you to shoot in 185 because that way it translates to 16 to 9 television sets perfectly. And that's for them is ideal. Filmmakers want to shoot in 235 because it looks like a film. And yeah. The broader scale scenario. gives it a more epic sen- a sense of yeah. you know, grandeur. and There is actually something to be said about uh, filmmakers who shoot in 235. Uh, Carpenter's talked about it in the past as well. It takes a lot more light to shoot a 235 film because yeah. of the way the cameras work. Um, so you, it costs more because mm-hmm. you actually have to have a lot more setup time to actually light a big widescreen film. Talking about Ben Hur, it, it certainly gave the, the chariot scenes in that, the chariot races, their, their sense of motion and action. And Which I think is why they wanted to do that. They exactly. wanted to capitalize. Oh, you got to remember that when Ben Hur came out, they were trying to bring people back in the cinema. They were, the gimmicks were hard and fast at that point. Mm. So basically, there was a lot of things like. Uh, uh, Super Panavision, big widescreens, uh, uh, anything to get people away from television sets and stuff like that. That's it was, right. It was all trying to bring people back to the cinema. Uh, in the 70s, we saw Sense Around. Do you remember Sense Around? Which was uh, yeah. supposed to shake the cinema with the sound. Of course, all it meant was it was really loud. <laughs> Dolby uh, Atmos, yeah. <laughs> I saw um, uh, Earthquake. and mm-hmm. I saw Earthquake and the original Battlestar, the 70s Battlestar Galactica movie. Uh, were both presented in sense around. Didn't they used to put? Uh, didn't they have some cinemas with vibrating chairs as well? So that no, it wasn't vibrating chairs. The sensor, the sense, the sense around technique was actually they had speakers all around the cinema, so the sound was so loud it would actually vibrate the chairs. Uh, it was literally uh, low tones. So every time, every time the earthquake would start in the film Earthquake, mm-hmm. you would you would hear. 
shaking everything with the, with the big low town, the low yeah. noises. It was really awesome. It was a great gimmick. But <laughs> all right, um, all right. Next item on the list. Uh, now, being a geek comes with a certain amount of stigma uh, sometimes, especially what stigma, Jamie? <laughs> especially from the media. Uh, the media definitely reinforces stereotypes uh, that are very negative about about our sort of fan is fandom. Uh, and this crossed over to quite a dark place this mm. week um, when police stopped a couple of people uh, who were trying to enter the Pokemon Card Game World Championships with bags full of weapons. Uh, they they had uh, several machine guns and uh, and handguns, and they were they were looking to start something really quite horrific at a Pokemon contest at the Pokemon World Championship. So we're talking about. I mean, Jeez. I want to put this into context for you. The Pokemon World Championships is uh, it has age levels, so you're looking at kids as young as six at this event. Yeah, uh, and these guys wanted to go in there and and shoot people, Jesus. and I'm just like, I mean, bad show, guys. You're not doing much for the uh, for the stereotype, but um, how? I don't think these guys are really geeks. I think these guys are crazy. Well, these these guys are apparently crazy. Yeah, crazy gun-toting maniacs. Pokemon players, yeah. yeah. But um, just dark. Just honestly, what is the world coming to? Interestingly we've, enough, there's been picture? so much talk recently about uh, gun control in the States because we've had just yeah. a string of massacres. Once uh, a I, I like the fact that I like the fact that in this picture, that I was reading this article. Uh, sorry, Dave. I'm about to say with this picture on this article, there's bullets, there's guns, there's knives. There's no Pokemon cards. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know if this the, is um, one. This is ICV2, which is actually sort of a nerd website. Right. So, um, I guess they're trying to keep that out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, like, uh, if it's still ongoing, but um, a few months ago, I'd, I'd read an article. Where it was something like um, for the 160 whatever days of the year, there'd been. 160 whatever sh- shootings in America. Yeah. There'd been one a day this year. Like, um, the thing that, the thing that worries year. me about it all is that the way the Americans are, and I speak as one of them, um, there is this. I don't think gun control is going to be something they're going to get under control anytime soon mm. uh, because there is this fundamental belief on there's a fundamental belief on freedoms and this and that and the next thing. So I just look at it and go, I don't see them being able to put restrictions on this. The backlash on it from the minority, to be fair, um, would be so loud that no politicians are going to want to. Look, say what you want about Australian politics, and we were having a big discussion about Australian politics before. Mm. Say what you want about John Howard, because I was never a fan of John Howard. But it was a ballsy move to put the gun laws in. Mm. It was it was a ballsy move. And if there was one thing that I have to respect that man for was making that decision. To come in and just and, and everybody said, Oh, look, he's wearing a bulletproof vest at the at the announcement speech. I would be. You know, it's like that was a that was a pretty ballsy move that he did. You know, mm. to unilaterally put gun gun control restrictions in this country like that in one fail swoop and get everybody just to hand their guns in. Yes, we still have problems with guns here in the black market and stuff, but on the most part, I feel a lot safer on my streets here than I would in L.A. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, and uh, I just look at it and go that that's what the Americans have to embrace. They have to somebody has to have the balls to actually make a, a move like that. And, you know, presidents have been shot for less. Yeah. yeah. You know? For talking about less. 
Yeah, so I just I, it, look as, so as horrifying a, as it is. Yeah, I just don't see it going away. It's been way out of my field, I guess. Yeah, so I, yeah. I just I just look at America and go until America wants to fundamentally change their mindset, it's not going to change. Yeah, and then we're just going to keep hearing about these horror stories. Yeah, well, these horror stories never stop. Too like I'm glad that the police were able to stop it from happening, and you know that's quite in and of itself amazing that the police were on top of it. And just like the fact that. that it came over into but there into was our the, world, you know? Yeah, yeah. Is the, the Aurora shooting during the Dark Knight screening, the train wreck shooting recently. Can I, can yeah, I just, <laughs> the number of times these things are associated with video gamers yeah. as well mm. is, uh, is... Well, that was the whole Columbine It's issue. like, it's so there, it's the go-to for the media, yeah. you know? Oh, they play shooting video games and they've gone and shot people. Well, maybe if you didn't give them access to guns, it wouldn't be a problem. Let me get on my second high horse for the day. <laughs> actually, this will be my third high horse for the day and say I've said this before on the show going way back seven years ago when we first started we had whole things on censorship and stuff like that but let me throw this thought out to you anybody who's out there listening and to you guys as well and say nothing will change in America until and it sounds really ridiculous when I say this but think about this this is food for thought at the moment in America any time of day you turn on the TV, you're going to see cop shows, violent television, action movies, people getting shot and murdered. And as long as in America they see that it's okay as popular media to basically kill each other, and yet a bare nipple mm. freaks people <laughs> yeah. out to the point where they would make a film rated X because a woman dared to show her nipple, right? <laughs> the day America gets to grips with the fact that its sexuality is actually not worse than violence. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing it's will change. bizarre, isn't it? There's my high horse for the day. That's very, yeah, that's interesting. I think that's yeah. a pretty normal horse, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they don't see it. And that's the problem is that they don't see it. Um, and we need somebody to champion out there who basically says, you know what, nudity is not bad. Sex isn't bad. Killing people is bad. Mm. You know? Anyway. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> um, Dave, you've been going through Stephen King lately. And, uh, lately. Th- this is <laughs> My whole life. <laughs> <laughs> this is in no way a replacement for Star Trek, nor hopefully going to take uh, the time that Star Trek would have. But uh, I came across an article about Stephen King on film and why it doesn't work and, and the qualities of King as a writer that mm. just don't translate ever and, and can't translate to a visual medium. Um I thought you'd probably want to share can, some. Can thoughts. we have a look at the article? This is, this is interesting. Yeah, go what, for it. What's where's the article? Like, is uh, th- why the horror of Stephen King's words don't translate well into film? It basically, yeah, yeah. it essentially goes through and and says, look, so much of what he writes is about feelings mm. and about the, the the giving the audience either no knowledge or very key pieces of information that they can work on mm. uh, without revealing everything. Yeah, I think there's the, like there's. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of process that as the character element of Stephen mm-hmm. King. Like that Stephen King's characters never ever get done justice just because of either time or like the fact that a movie goes for two hours, I mean. and that, Or just the wrong performer or not caring about doing the character justice. And then the other side of it is the concepts that Stephen King deals with. In the, in the books, they're, they're explained and they're, they're made clear and they work whereas some of them don't translate that well. They're quite comical on screen. Um, but, like, there's a lot of them, and I don't, I don't want to go start spoiling every Stephen King book, but, like, the It, for example, the representation of it is so borderline backwards from what it is <laughs> in the book, like, that it's it's amazing. You know? mm. But people love it because Tim Curry did a great job and, you know, Pennywise in the movie is 
fun to watch. But the the thing about it is not the clown that you go to watch. It's what it is. And then on top of that, it's the the other kids and what they are as adults that makes that story. Not oh the the clown is scary. You know, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer it in this way that I'm, I'm reading Dreamcatcher at the moment and I haven't seen the film, but the film has been pissed on for ever since I've heard about it, right? Like even you guys were telling me the other week, like how bad the film is and, um, and I'm loving the book at the moment, but the, it is about aliens that get, they're like an airborne virus that when you breathe them in, they grow in your belly and you shit them out into a toilet. <laughs> And like that just sounds comical, right? It and does. then it, and then it adds elements of telepathy and you know like all these crazy whacked out concepts. But and the American uh, cinema is not ready for telepathic I, poo. I don't know. I don't know. The, <laughs> the Stephen King question is something like that. I guess I should say I've read like maybe nearly thirty of his books. You know, and um, and the kind of thing is like there is a Stephen King universe where it's all sort of connected, and there's like certain tropes that King does a lot, like Maine. Like I think I was talking earlier about with the gift, like. The, the things we've done as kids and how that's affected us as adults, like not the ni- 1950s era growing up, um, you know, like primal fears, like, and there's all sorts of things that he does. Well, like characters that are writers uh, is a common theme. Um, but I don't know. I generally don't like to put Stephen King into certain pockets because I, th- I think he's got a, a stigma attached to him of, of a lesser writer or a generic horror writer. Like there's that family guy joke that goes around a lot where it's like, you know, Oh, what's your, what's your new book about Stephen King? And it's like, Oh, it's about a lampshade that goes crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like the amount of Stephen King stories where an inanimate object becomes alive is quite small compared to the amount of stories that Stephen King has Body done about by just Plymouth. people. Body by Plymouth. Yeah. Soul there's, by heaps, Satan. there's heaps of, <laughs> there's heaps of them like in the sense of like that there's a couple dozen, but this is the guy that's written thousands of short stories and mm. nearly 60 novels, you know? And the kind of thing is like that. This is also the guy who wrote the Shawshank Redemption, you know, the guy who wrote the green mile, like the long walk, like he's written an, an enormous amount of stories that aren't just, supernatural and even the supernatural stories are not about the supernatural they're not just horror for horror's sake and that's what the movies do wrong always the movies are always horror for horror's sake because it's scary whereas like king creates the shining as a metaphor for alcoholism or, or like king creates kathy Bates. oh no he didn't create kathy Bates. Uh, what's the character's name um annie 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 from annie wilkes from misery um king creates her as a as a metaphor for like the the pressure of writing and, and, um, and, you know, and also like to an extent alcoholism and and drug use and like recovering and getting off the, off the gear. Whereas in the movie, it's just, she's a crazy woman, you know, obsession, you know, yeah. You know, and the, and the kind of thing is like, that's what the movies always do is that they water down the concepts to become broad enough to, to please a mass audience. So could you argue then that the problem with the problem with, but there are bad Stephen King books. I was going to say, could you argue then that the problem with adapting King is the fact that everybody is using the phrase, the master of horror Hmm. as their starting point rather than going, what's the book about? Yeah. And, but that's because the kind of thing, like the master of horror is an odd thing too. Like even King himself said in, in, he does these talks all the time that you can find on YouTube and he's really fascinating to listen to. And he's written nonfiction as well, like on writing and Danes macabre that are really wonderful books that tell you every thought he has on writing and on horror itself. And he's the first person to say like, he doesn't understand why he's labeled 
the master of horror. He feels like a fraud. He feels like a hack. Like this is something that he's been labeled by other people. He's a writer first and foremost. And this is just his bag, mm. baby, you know, like, um, and the kind of thing is like Stephen King, when you really get into the, into the, the nuts and bolts is that he's a very mature, very adult, um, storyteller who has a vast, enormous imagination that, that when you really get into it, it's quite mind blowing. It's like all of this originates from one mind, from one person. And do you know how remarkable that actually is that, that there's a human being on this planet that has an imagination as vast as he does? Like J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter. Mm. Like, like this is the kind of thing. Is like the, the, these imaginations are so wonderful, the gift that they've given, that there's a reason why he's the, num- he's the number one bestseller in the world, not just the master of horror, the number one storyteller in the world. And it's because he has an enormous output, but yet he always every time delivers so with that with that philosophy in mind i mean we don't want to harp on forever for about this subject but with that in mind why can't they adapt his books because he he's a writer and he he writes for prose he writes for for the novel and and, and that's, the novel just you know and that's the, the point i was thinking of which is that yeah. there are there are words to be read and there are mm. words to be spoken and there are words there are things that work better in your imagination than they would work put physically on the film. Yeah. And you look at all the best Stephen King adaptations, they're the ones that are actually a little bit less fantastical. Yeah. When you look at the best Stephen King adaptations on film, you're looking at Misery. Mm-hmm. You're looking at Needful Things. You're looking at... Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile. Uh, uh, you're looking at... Um, Dolores Claiborne. Christine is actually a pretty good actor. Many of which Christine. are not horror stories. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing, because once you start doing things like, oh, it's a killer clown, that is going to be scarier in your mind yeah. than when you actually put it onto film. When you say, uh, I, mean, I mean, Carrie to a degree kind of works, but if you think about it, mm. the book is going to be so much more terrifying because you're imagining the things yeah. that she is capable of doing. And when you, you inherently s- put yourself in that Exactly. Position. When you actually see yeah. the knives fly off a wall or this or that. Carrie's thing, it an doesn't... interesting one too because Carrie's where they got lucky, I think, where the themes translated but accidentally. Mm. Like, um, because what makes Carrie such a powerful read is it's very clearly about the power that a young yeah. woman gains when she matures yeah she gets the power of sexuality which is which is an enormous tool for women to use to to wreak havoc you know and 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 the theme is is of that is of what sexuality does to a teenage girl and and that's the theme Mm. whereas like carrie gets away with it in the movie you know like it and it translates naturally and think about it it, the, the best stephen king adaptations even the horror adaptations are never actually that scary because they're no. actually because they're not they're not actually as you were saying it's unfair that Brandon is the master because yeah. they're not terrifying yeah. films yeah. they're interesting films they're thought provoking films one of my favorites is the Dead Zone Cronenberg's yes. yeah. uh, Cronenberg's adaptation of the Dead Zone I love the Dead Zone but I would never qualify that as a scary film no it's a thought provoking film it's yeah. intriguing but it's not scary I think the 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 best is the Shawshank Redemption and the original novella which is um. Uh, it's called Shawshank Redemption and Rita Hayworth. Rita mm. Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And the kind of thing is, I remember talking to you guys about this a couple of weeks ago when we were, we were just privately discussing Stephen King adaptations. And the kind of thing is that um, Frank Darabont is the one that got closest to Stephen King adapting his work mm. because he understood Stephen King's voice and what he was, what he is trying to do as a storyteller so perfectly. And because it comes from him being a real true fan of, 
of the yeah. work. It's not just oh, I read this one and it's going to be a good movie. It's yeah. like I know what. Well, Darabont also did about. the Green Mile as and well. Mist, uh, which is also Stephen yeah. King. And the kind of thing is like the if you look at um, Shawshank Redemption is a really particularly interesting one as well as The Mist because they're famous for two things. And the fir- the Shawshank Redemption is one of the most famous movies ever made, right? But the kind of thing is that when you actually read the novella, it's a lot truncated. They added a lot of material to fill it out. And the kind of thing is there's maybe if I was doing like some kind of percentage thing, I'd say like there's 40% of extra material that Darabont created. But yet it feels so in line with what Stephen King wrote. It feels like Stephen King. like, And you can't tell the difference what is and what isn't. I actually, I posted on the Geek Actually uh, Facebook um, just sort of the the things we were talking about in this episode. And Stephen King was there, uh, and The Mist was one of the, was mm-hmm. one of the movies that got mentioned as you know yeah. like this this was the best thing that got yeah. done with him. Mm. And I and The Mist as well. What I was getting to, thank you for bringing that up, is that the ending of The Mist has changed dramatically. Mm. The most of that story is the same up until the final moments, and we've we've all seen The Mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to blow it for people who haven't because it has a remarkable ending. A very, worth looking very, up. Very un Hollywood ending. Yeah, which yeah. a lot of people hated. Yeah. Um, but a remarkable ending, and the kind of thing is like that was an invention for the film by Darabont. You know, and and that's the kind of thing. It's like the when they really come in and make it because of the adaptation process. You know, we're going to have to change it from the novel to make it work into a movie. So, you know, even King himself didn't successfully do it with Maximum Overdrive. Oh, he, no. he directed and wrote the adaptation. And it was terrible. Of his own story. You well, know? and also, and remember, let's face it, King also wrote the miniseries remake of The Shining, which was a yeah, very, I, very I, unsuccessful. I, I blame Mick Garris. Yeah, it was <laughs> a very, a very See, unsuccessful. Mick, Mick, Mick Garris has adapted a lot of Stephen King, and every time they're awful, in my opinion. This, I, this like, brings me to two interesting points. One is what you were saying earlier, David, about the horror genre always being... And Wes Craven, when we were talking about Ooh. him, um, that the horror genre is always looked down upon a little yeah. bit in cinema. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of that stereotype, anytime you bring a Stephen King film to to life, it automatically gets stuck into the horror genre and thus looked down on yeah. uh, a little yeah. bit and maybe treated with less reverence yeah. than and it would be otherwise. It all starts with the whole like Stephen King's... Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah you know, but so. the other thing, uh, this I mean, it's a very familiar story to me. Uh, this whole Stephen King thing because I'm a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Me and, too, yeah. And Lovecraft doesn't write many female characters, uh, doesn't tell happy ending stories. So he Some never gets... he ad- doesn't really write characters at all. He barely ever gets adapted into film because uh, because it's sure so Gordon difficult. Had, sure, Gordon had a good crack at it yeah. in, the, in, the, in yeah. the 80s though. Well, actually, look, the two best examples of uh, Lovecraft in film... Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say the best examples of Lovecraft in film aren't actually oh, adapted from Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just... They take those elements and what they, are, they, they are probably John Carpenter's The Thing. And, and In the Mouth of Madness. And In the Mouth of yeah. Madness. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Okay. And In the Mouth of Madness is an amazing film because it is almost a commentary on horror storytelling in yeah. the first place. Uh, and it's it's just magnificent. Oddly enough, because of our um, conversation last episode about video game movies, it, the the best adaptation of Lovecraft, in my opinion, is is like a video game called Alone in the Dark. From, Alone in the Dark's very good. They've, remade, they've done remakes and sequels, and but ignore all that crap. Have you ever like played the it, first and original And Uwe Ball made a film the, as well. The so. Info, Info, Infogram, or I think it was the name of the company. It's have you ever awesome played, video game. Have you ever played Eternal Darkness? No, but I've heard that's pretty good. So Eternal Darkness is a game where you have a, a sanity bar. Uh, <laughs> and as you encounter more things, yeah. uh, your sanity drops. 
and it actually starts to affect the game. So it might switch the controls around, so you mm-hmm. can't move properly anymore. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or uh, one of the one of my favorites is that suddenly the game will, the game will keep playing, but you can't move. Yeah. And it will come up with a message that says your controller is disconnected. <laughs> and it's not. You yeah. can do anything yeah. you want to still, but it but you think that something's happening to you. And Did it, you ever play it's Jamie all just of, playing um, with you. Shadow of the Comet? That's also a Lovecraft <laughs> no? um, point and click graphic adventure. Oh yeah. And um that's a that, that you reminded me just of that because that game has a timer on it. So you know, you have to beat it within four yeah. hours game time or you have to redo the day. Mm. You know? Oh, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean Lovecraft, look, he tells these fantastic tales of otherworldly gods and the pathetic attempts that mortals yeah. make to, to shut them out basically yeah. and stop them from destroying our world. Um, and they're all tales of sacrifice and and the fact that, you know, we, we are essentially mm. pointless in this massive universe, yeah. which doesn't translate very well to cinema. <laughs> There's also one, one, one more thing on Stephen King is that like the, the Stephen King has this, like uh, I guess you'd call it a trope, but it's 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 a writing technique that he uses like all the time throughout his books that make reading his books such joys. Whereas he'll say something like, um, you know, I'll use you guys in in the room here for an example, where a chapter would end very early on, where it would be like, um, Jamie was about to get in the car with Dave and go to the shops, but he'd wish later that he didn't. <laughs> you know, the, the <laughs> King would do a lot of that. Yeah. Where where it, the foreshadowing. And you can't do that in a yeah. movie. And you know? yeah, I was about to say the other thing that King does a lot in his books is he's got a lot of internal monologue running yeah. constantly, which is also something you can't do in a film. Yeah. So uh, you've got to have a very clever person to adapt that yes, to, like be able to, did to show yeah. not tell um, we're going to have to break that conversation yeah. short though because yeah. we are at an it's hour and a half and, yeah. we, and we do have more to go but I'm sure it's something we will come yeah. back and revisit at also one, one one brief little thing because yep. we need to finish off with the Stephen King stuff quickly like um, the, the other thing as well is that they always pick the longest books that Stephen King's written to adapt into movies. Always, every single time, it's the one thousand page brick. <laughs> where, whereas, like, like King has written so many short stories and novellas that would make perfectly fine films. Yeah, like you know? Silver Bullet. Oh, I didn't say that. Sorry. <laughs> Cycle of the Werewolf. Mate was turned into, into that. Yeah, which is also a great novella. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Uh, Cat's Eye. Mm. <laughs> the, the 80s was not kind to, to King But I mean like Look at like We're, we're gonna do We're gonna do It And it's gonna be a two part film Or like We're gonna do The Stand And it's I gonna know, be I think, four parts I think they it's were It's like just make You know it, what like, I think they're on the right uh, I think they're on the right idea With The Stand and It The right idea is that They should be done for television Yeah miniseries They, they should be miniseries and, they, and done that way Because they're very big books The only problem is That they need to be on things like HBO mm. So um Anyway. I reckon they should look at like how Lost was made to make one of his books. That's an interesting idea. That's kind of what they're doing with yeah, Under you, the Dome, but not very yeah, successfully. Yes, but Under the Dome doesn't do it like what I mean. I mean, sort of you pick one character per week. Oh, know, that's and an interesting you Focus idea. on them and you know yeah, do the stand like the, do the stand. Yeah, like Lost. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, next week we'll talk about Joe Hill. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we have another question posed about Joe Hill, so we'll bring Joe Hill into it next week. You but, can't mention Stephen King without an epic hour conversation. <laughs> yeah. but, but we should get on to our films of this week, which is a double header of documentaries. The first one I think we're going to kick through pretty quickly. So the first one is "The Death of Superman Lives: What Happened" is a documentary by John Schnepp. Uh, I love that name, by the way. Schnepp. And also, and also written by John Schnepp. Here's a taste of the trailer. Oh, Schnepp. <laughs> Why are you bringing up such painful memory? I'm still, I've just, last year, finally, you know, recovered shaking. 
This was a street fight. People were scared of this movie, just like they were scared of Batman. Tim is really, I gotta be honest, I think one of the only people who could really do it justice because he understands it. He's lived it. Man, he would have knocked it out of the park. Tim was really gearing up for that and was really excited about it. So, you know, from that perspective, it was a big disappointment because I think he would have really stretched in a way that um, he hadn't yet. And, and maybe hasn't, since I don't know, he hasn't really made that movie. Tim Burton's Superman would have been something quite unique. And, and, and probably something we'd still be talking about. I always felt it was a missed opportunity, you know, because I think it would have been a really interesting movie with, with the way that Tim's take on it and with Nick playing Superman. I think it would have been awesome at that point in time. Tim was not a comics geek. It is more of a, um, a let's take this apart, look at the fundamental roots of it, and let's build it back up. I was always so excited by that footage. It's priceless. It's fantastic. I, I was referring to this footage as the Holy Grail. It is like the Holy Grail. For anybody who thinks I'm insulting their Superman, I'll tell you something. He doesn't belong to you. I always looked at Superman and get, can we get the diapers off of him a little bit? If it's what you do for a living and you're excited about it yourself, you, the, the audience better be excited about it, right? They just wanted us to go crazy. They just said, just draw monsters. Now when you think about it, if somebody was like, would you like to see a Nick Cage Superman movie? I'd be like, Fuck. And yes, take all my money, because I want to see what that looks like. All right, so for those who have been living under a rock, this is actually a documentary about a failed Superman movie that was going to happen. Uh, Tim Burton was signed, John Peters was producing, and it was going to be Superman Lives. It was going to be um, basically the rebirth of Superman for the cinema. Mm. Um, it all fell apart, and a few years later, we finally got Superman Returns, which was a completely different film, but that was the eventual return of Superman to the big screen. Two very mixed results. Yes. Um, it was uh, also supposed to have Christopher Walken. <laughs> it was. It was brainiac. Oh, how good would that Hey, I'm going to shrink your city. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. But what's interesting the was... Bottled he... city of Candor. <laughs> what's interesting, wow. even going way back to this, even going way back to this, so he was still talking about Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. So, it's yeah. like, you know, so that was, that was kind of on the cards. They were going to do that. This is a really interesting documentary. I mean, it's it's very. Uh, I found it a very little, very low budget. I mean, this is obviously it was. You know, it, it needed I a bit of polish. It. I, I'm in the end credits. Yeah, I noticed. We stopped the credits and actually. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Was I there? Yeah, I didn't yeah. check. No, yeah. you are there. Yeah. I did the same thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. You're definitely yeah. there. All the Kickstarters. I'm a producer there. of Deficit uh, Melee. It, it needed. I'm a bit holding of the Blu-ray now. So uh, that yeah, I got, he's got yeah, the Blu-ray in his hand. It needed to be. It needed a little bit of polish. It it felt like. It felt like a fan film, um, which it always which was. it was. But it's a fan film with incredible people in it because he interviewed everyone: Kevin yeah. Smith, Tim Burton, Tim Burton, John Peters. John now let's talk. Peters. John Peters is a loony bin. All right? My goodness, there was this one part in there where John Peters was talking. We did about- tell you at the beginning of the show that we were going to talk about crazy yeah, people today, yeah, right? right. So, yeah. so he's talking about the moment when Warner Brothers told him that the film was off, that they were canceling, yeah. and he says. I threatened to throw a man out a window if he did this to us. And all I could think of was if I was that man, 
I would put the movie back on. <laughs> I loved when he just takes the phone call and they leave it in the film. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, love, I, love, I think my fa- that's, this is summed up. It's not in this trailer. It was in the other trailer where Kevin Smith says three rules were given yes. to him. Basically, not to have the costume. The story, yeah. Not to. Yeah. He couldn't fly and he had to have a giant spider yeah, at the end. Yeah. And then they cut the John Peters and goes, I didn't say any of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... When you actually look at the early concept art, because in the very beginning days before Tim Burton was around, John Peters was effectively directing it himself. Mm. And you look at his early concept art, there's no red and blue suit there. Yeah. So you know that that holds. And there's all these concepts throughout it where they're talking about like parkourish type jumping around the city. So you go, so there was no flying. And there is a giant and spider. And there is a giant spider. So you go, John Peters, you're a fucking liar. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He really is just, he comes across yeah. as such a crazy scumbag. I love that. And there's that anecdote where, where um, Kevin Smith was invited over to deliver the script. And they say, you can read it to him now because John Peters yeah, likes to have he, he, to yeah, it. Yeah, and is it, it's like the... Um, <laughs> Like uh, w- exterior space, the planet Krypton. And it was like what? <laughs> that that's Superman's home planet. Planet is Krypton. <laughs> I, love, I do love Kevin Smith. Oh yeah, it's like planet blows up. Yep, cool, move on. Yeah. I do love I do love Kevin Smith as the everyman guide to Hollywood. You know <laughs> the way that he just sort of shows you through the just bizarre practices that go on behind the scenes. So look, I look, I really enjoyed the film. It flew by. I watched it in an afternoon. Nicholas and I watched it together, and we really enjoyed it. But as I say, the the the, the my only complaint about it is it just needs a little bit of polish. It mm. just uh, overall. Absolutely. As a production, it just needed a bit of polish, but the content is solid. Yeah. Now you posed a really interesting question, though, Jerry, which is, who's this made for? Well, I, I think that's a bigger general question yeah. that that we should talk about in general. But this this is a good example of it. So, who is this documentary made for? Yeah, you or, know, or like, documentaries I, in general. Who are they made for? But. This is a very specific genre piece. It is. I think so, it's, as a Superman yeah. fan, it was definitely made for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, for fans, fans of Kevin Smith too, because Kevin Smith told that story oh. like ten years ago, like, on, and it's on YouTube, and it's just like, oh, I want to know about more about that. He really yeah. is the most exciting part. Tim it's Burton. One of the, it's one of these Hollywood stories that you just want to hear. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tim Burton's in there, and actually, this is a really interesting thing about the the target audience, I guess. Tim Burton's ideas about this film and about Superman are almost like an extension of Mars Attacks in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, like it's it's like they've taken the comedy out of Mars Attacks, but they're still making those sorts of aliens coming to Earth and and doing crazy stuff and Superman battling them. Did you uh, guys see Hodorowski's June? I didn't. That's one I really want to see. Yeah, similar thing to that. It's just like if this movie had been made, it would have been. Crazy. Well, and it's like whether the, it would have been good or not, it would have been like we would still be talking about it today. And so it's like let's I throw, try and I throw, show you the movie through. I throw it out there as as a question of the day, but I think I, I think my interpretation of the answer to that question, I, I throw that question out basically having an answer in my own head. But basically, I look at it and go, I think that this is it's not about Superman. This no. is this is not about Superman. This is not for fans of Superman. No. Yes, the nerds are going to latch onto it for that reason. The general audience for this so is there's that there is. A, in particular with this type of documentary, there is a particular thirst in America of all countries. Mm. They're movie obsessed. And this is a documentary about 
the behind the scenes of the craziness of yeah. the film industry. Mm-hmm. And it could have been any movie. This is why um, this is why the man from La Mancha was made. This yes. is why they are top point, uh, you know, pondering the idea of making one about the Justice League Mortal film. Mm-hmm. We seem to be seeing more and more of these because people are hungry for that constant need for for nourishment on how the how Hollywood is just out of its mind. It certainly gives uh, three film buffs recording a podcast something to talk about, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, so I look at it and go, yeah, you to look at this film, the first reaction is it has a limited audience. Yeah, it's no, not no, like no, I don't know if it's limited, but it's like but then I think about it more and I go, no, yeah. I actually don't think it's that like, limited. But it's know? so it's so relevant today more so than it was when it was going to be made. I, no, look, I, I, when you hear – like you look at what Nicolas Cage has, has – well, what's happened to Nicolas Cage like since. Like <laughs> Nicolas Cage has become a walking cartoon. You know, but back then – oh, I love Nicolas Cage, man. One, a, b, c. I'm sitting here here shaking my head. uh, Sorry. I'm more of a Superman protector. Yeah. But I mean, like, okay. So, okay. Here's how I think, though, right? I walk up to someone and I go, did you know Tim Burton was going to make a Superman movie that starred Nicolas Cage as Superman, was going to have Brainiac, was going to have, you know, Sandra Bullock as Lois Lane, Chris Rock as Jimmy Olsen? I mean, automatically, you're kind of interested. You know, Kevin Smith wrote the screenplay. Like, you're interested. You you want to know what that would have been like. And so uh, the answer. Sort of that, like, is in this movie. See, you know, like it's, it's pretty <laughs> I was, simple. It's I was like, already lost at Nicolas Cage's Superman. I think he he looks completely. He was playing it as an alien. It was an awesome interpretation. Yeah, but, but <laughs> an alien with a messed it's like up. Such a genius idea, like, because I'm an alien, man. But he just doesn't look like Superman at all. <laughs> <No>. He's. <laughs> I'm well, so Kryptonian. You might as well have Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I mean, <that's- laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It's like the death of Superman lives. It's there in the title. It's like it was going to be the death of Superman. No, look, I'm going to disagree with you guys day. here. I don't. Th- I think there is a limited audience to this film. Um, even as a film buff and as a Superman fan, by the end of this film. I'd had enough of this film. <laughs> yeah. and, and you were going, like, show me the damn film already. Going by the, I mean, like it was interesting to see, to hear Kevin Smith's uh, original original script and it was interesting to hear what Tim Burton was trying to do with it uh, and where he was going. But really, in the end, we were talking about a film that didn't get made mm. uh, and, mm. and there was a limit to how much there, there could really be discussion of that. Yeah. Um, going by the, the standard geek actually, how do we... Would we recommend this? Yeah. I'd recommend it to people who are interested in Tim Burton, Kevin Smith or Superman or in film production. But I don't I don't think that it's broad appeal. I don't think yeah, it's everyone's I, I, film. I, I, I don't I, think I, it's mainstream. No, I would kind either. of agree with you on that in the sense that I don't think this is going to be a film for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think there is a broader audience for those who are interested in the film industry but on the most part, this is a niche film. This, yeah. is, this is a film about people who know the story mm-hmm. And actually, want some details about it. Exactly. Mm. You know. Yeah. Well, that's, compared that's, with I the guess, like why I donated to the first mm. place. Oh yeah, and and good job doing it. It it is. It's a fun film for us, definitely. Yeah. Put it this way, though, yeah. t- this can be directly compared that's to cool thing about the Man from La Mancha, yeah. though, as as a type of film. And the Man from La Mancha was actually a better made film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah because was, that was amazing, and it was a more compelling. They, story. Were, they were making that as a behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. And the other when one, and, went, and, and the it other was one, filming which, when it went down, the film actually did get made, but the documentary <laughs> is a similar style, which is Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, and oh, yeah. That's the the jewel in the crown. That of these is kind the of gold movies. standard of this kind of film. Yeah. And Hearts of Darkness is, if you haven't seen it, this oh. is a, this is an expose. Just behind stop the, the podcast now and get it. It's yeah. that good. It's actually it's actually on the. 
Blu-ray for the definitive collection yeah. of Apocalypse Now. It's actually one of the bonuses on there. Mm. And it used to stand alone as its own film. Now yeah. they've actually put it where it belongs, which yeah. is with the film. Mm. And Interesting. So, uh, somebody asked me the other day, I said, do you watch Hearts of Darkness before Apocalypse Now or Apocalypse Now first? I was like, no, watch Apocalypse yeah. Now yeah, first. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't spoil that experience, yeah. but then watch Hearts of Darkness because it is Because that's what makes opening. it such a profound documentary is because yeah. the movie ended up being as incredible yeah. as it was. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, like, having seen the three different documentaries this week and, and mm. doing some comparison between them, the, uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau one was a much more, it was a much more enjoyable piece of film. Oh, watch. interesting. Okay. Um, like the, it was, it was about the characters behind this sto- this film, and why the story had failed, and what was going wrong. Whereas the Superman one was clearly doing a bit of fan service and talking about, you know, this in relation to our vision of Superman. Mm. Um, and I, going clear is a horror story. Yeah, we'll come to that. <laughs> I just wrap up uh, Death of Superman Lives. You recommending this to people? Yeah, I totally recommend it. But I, I, I don't think this is an- like. It's not even really a film to really like recommend on a film basis. It's yeah. like it's, it's, it isn't because it's just like it's just like it is an extended bonus feature to a yeah, DVD. It really is. is, but it's awesome. I totally yeah, no, a bonus right. feature to yeah. a film that, I, to a DVD yeah. that doesn't exist. I think, yeah, exactly. I think I think the movie is hilarious. I I, I, oh, I, I found it. I, I found it yes. so yeah. funny. I thought it was really interesting. Like. Um, what happened behind the scenes. And I'm a sucker for this kind of like mm-hmm. behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. But I do agree with Jamie because at the end of the day, like the movie didn't get made. And, but I think that's sad in this case. It is. A this was sad. really fascinating. I would much prefer this than Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been. A, it, and like kind of thing is like, this thing is someone who's from someone who's been following the story for a long time. And like, my, my last, there was a lot in there that I didn't know. And the, you got last, to see all the concept art. That was really cool. All, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. yeah. That was the concept the art was actually amazing. And the costume test behind were the scenes stuff. Yeah. That yeah. was the maquettes. my last thing that I'll say about it. I liked it a lot. I'd recommend it to film yeah. friends, film fans and, and people that I uh, hang around with. I don't know how how far and wide it's going to go, but I will say that my last criticism on it was he shouldn't have included himself. Um, I don't think he was a very good host for it. No, he was very... And he could have pieced it together. If you'd watch the next documentary that we're going to watch... There's no yeah. need. There is no host. There's no host. There's no I need. Know. I liked him. You know, I just found that he, he was- reminded me of like me. You know, like <laughs> like he was like he was like a, a nerd there, like asking questions that he wanted to know the answers of. That's what I liked. Fair like, enough. Yeah, which is it, which is exactly what it was, effectively. Yeah. So the second documentary, though, is profoundly different in almost every way. <laughs> it's not a documentary. It's a horror movie. It's yeah. a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief, directed by Alex Gibney and written by Alex Gibney, based on the Lawrence Wright book. Um, and to say that this was an eye-opening film is uh, an understatement. Here's a little bit of the trailer, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Someone had told me there's this cult and they'll make anything possible in your life. I was deeply convinced that we were going to save the world. It was a transcendent experience. You feel euphoric. Everything you do for endless trillions of years depends on what you do with and in Scientology. They sell it all in the beginning as something quite logical. You take on a matrix of thought that is not your it's own. It's so strong that it sticks you like very glue. Controllable, very suggestible. You just don't see it happening to you. You justify so much. There is no logical explanation other than faith. Faith. 
talk about a trailer that gives nothing away. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love those drone shots. Hey? Oh, they're uh. fantastic! Just flying over the over the celebrity center and stuff like that. So the interesting one of the interesting things about this film is that uh, both Dave and I had a, a very similar reaction to it, which was that we knew some things about Scientology and were a little bit put off by those things. I, well, I think it's actually, safe to say. I'll go a step further. I actually knew a lot about Scientology. I had actually, I'd read that the handwritten letter that they talk about in the film that it t- explains about Xenoism. I've read that letter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've got articles that are actually on my hard drive right now, which are all from uh, scathing exposés from ex-people of Scientology. I studied religion for a long time because I was writing, funnily enough, I was writing a comedy about religion. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was studying a lot of comparative religion. And Scientology fascinates me Mm -hmm. and i thought i knew a lot about scientology how wrong i was my goodness (laughs) it's just this was just so disturbing in its eye-openingness uh you know i i I knew the stuff about xeno and the aliens and all that but then to actually see the levels that they go to within the organization and the things that the organization does to control people it's just it's horrific I, I mean, I literally feel like calling the cops. <laughs> Interestingly enough, like uh, to 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 the the things that shocked me the most about Scientology um, were I didn't. I mean, I knew he was a basket case. There's no doubt about it. But I didn't know quite how crazy L. Ron Hubbard was. I mean, the man was a raving lunatic to the point where when they have that uh, the 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 ex-wife mm. and recounting the ex-wife's uh, letters and so forth, and she's basically saying that he would call. He kidnapped the daughter and wouldn't let her see her daughter and then would call her and say, I've killed the daughter and cut her into small pieces and then call her back later and say, no, I haven't actually killed the daughter. It's just horrific. And it's like, these are the ramblings of a madman. Yeah. You know, and 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 then I've got a, I've actually got a clip later on to we'll play from the film. I've okay. actually captured a clip, which is in Elrond's own words. Mm. Uh what Zenu and the the myth of creation is. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about that. A little the bit. best is the South Park version. Uh, yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that a little bit. But I mean, we've got stories in this uh, where uh, the, the woman is basically she's forbidden from seeing her daughter. She's basically imprisoned. There's a prison wing of the Scientology building. She can't see her kid. The kid is sick. She has to effectively kidnap her own child. And escape the building with the help of a friend. Mm. What the hell is going on, and why has this never been? And the the stuff about how they've manipulated uh, Tom Cruise's life and forced yeah. to break up with Nicole Kidman, and um, well, and that's actually a really and good same story. with John Travolta. Yeah, well, that's actually really the, John, the Nicole Kidman one is really interesting because there has been for a very long time this this philosophy that the entire Nicole Kidman thing was a setup mm. that that she was actually closet. A closet lesbian. He was a closet homosexual. Scientology put them together because it was a power couple thing. Blah blah. And they, you know, they, all of this. And this is why it lasted ten years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Watching this film, though, they talk about the fact that he actually did fall for Nicole Kidman. Scientology didn't like her because she was a wild. She was because her father was a psychiatrist. Her father was a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and she that was, was considered dangerous. Exactly. She was a wild card, and then. They go off to shoot Eyes Wide Shut and they're in England for a year and they lose contact with their golden boy and they are 
fighting with themselves to try and reconnect with him and sabotage the relationship mm. and bring him back into the fold right at about the time that they're losing control of Travolta. What was the name you know? of Hubbard's successor, the, the, the really creepy guy? Uh, I think it's Mc, McTavish. I, uh, um, no, it's here. Hold on. It's uh, – give me a second. It's um, – oh, why can't we not – He didn't appear in the film because they couldn't get – Of course. It's David something. Dave, you keep talking. I'll, yeah, you Jamie, look it up. He is, he, is, he is the devil incarnate. I mean, oh, just the, the way that he tried to control and manipulate people. And they were talking about the people in the documentary were talking about how Ms. they had Cabbage. been. Miscavige. Miscavige. Yeah. How they had been harassed and, and attacked and, and things yeah. for leaving the Church of Scientology and talking about it. Well, and what I thought was really interesting about David Miscavige as well was the fact that when L. Ron Hubbard died, he left no succession. And. McCavage basically took it upon himself to step mm. up to a microphone, make up a story about how L. Ron Hubbard had ascended wow, to the next level. Next to, ascended to the next level and he doesn't need his body anymore and took control. Mm. And it's like you sit there and go, the balls on this man. You know, he just he just turned it into his own private club, you know? Um It's it, legit this this documentary is legitimately horrific. It is like but like not the kind of horror we were talking about before. Not, this was scary. I needed to, to binge watch, watch some yeah. Archer afterwards just to <laughs> yeah, un, just guess, to unwind. I'd like to underline how horrifying <laughs> it is as well. Because it's like if you haven't seen it, like you you gotta understand this documentary is comprised of people that were members was, of Scientology yeah. that have that have somehow escaped or given up we on should the be church. Very clear about so they're, they're, they're com- it's coming from very reliable sources. Well, we should, we should be very clear know. about this as well. We're not talking about people who have left Scientology. We're talking about the upper echelon yeah. who have mm-hmm. left Scientology. Yeah. This was McCavish's right-hand man, his publicist. Um, these were people who were at the forefront of it all. They saw everything. Mm. And one of them had actually achieved the highest operating Thetan level possible before she left. Mm. So you sit there and look at it and go, these are people who were in it for the long haul. That girl who re, re, who achieved highest operating Thetan, she was one of the original C organization. She was the, and that was the other part that freaked me out, the whole Hitler youth thing. I mean, I had no yeah. idea Scientology had a, had a uniform. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, when did that occur? Well, how did I miss that one? You know? It's like the whole C organization thing was terrifying. The whole militaristic side of it, you know? I remember when I was, when I was quite young, uh, I used to go to Galaxy Bookshop when it was up on um, Castle Ray Street in, yep. in Sydney and there's a Church of Scientology there yeah. and they would literally be standing at the front offering you free Dianetics sessions. Free IQ tests. And IQ tests. Yes, yeah. that's how they got you in with the free IQ test. Oh, man. And just they still thinking about the fact that I was yeah, literally... Yeah, they do it always near the Woolies. I was walking past hall. that, yeah. you know, yeah. and that, this, that that connects to this. Yeah, they still do it to this day. They still, they're still staying, coming yeah. for a free IQ test. They're always at the Woolies... The town hall. Yeah. And the, the idea is you go in for the free IQ test. I have a friend who did it. You went in for the free IQ test, you sit the test, and then they call you back later and offer you how to come into the whole church mm. and blah, 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 mm. and offer you Dianetics and stuff. The IQ test is never free. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's not. And the center's near the town hall as well, I think. It's, it's, it's on, you're right. It's Castle yeah, Ray it's Street. Castle Ray Street. Yeah, Castle yeah. Ray Street. And where, so King, a, where Kings used to be before they moved right. to the yeah. pre- premises. And it's yeah, recently got renovated, I think. So, because <laughs> I saw work on it. Anyway, let's talk a little bit, because the one thing that gets me about Scientology is there are still a great deal of people out there, because I speak to them on a regular basis, who go, yes, Scientologists are all crazy and they do the testing and the whole clear thing and blah, and they say, yeah, and then they believe in Xenu and ch- silent child. I mean, silent childbirth was my favorite. Uh, when uh, 
Tom Cruise was having Suri mm. uh, with uh, uh, Katie Holmes, uh, basically she had to stay silent during the birth because Scientologists believe in silent birth. And the reason they believe in silent birth is because if you make noise during childbirth, you alert Xenu to your presence. So, <laughs> so, so let's put this into context. Um, Jamie and I are face palming. Yeah, oh, let's wait. put this into context. <laughs> there are a lot of people that when you actually go, no, what Scientologists actually believe when you get into the upper echelons is this thing Xenu, blah, blah. A lot of people actually still don't know this. So I've actually captured the clip. This is L. Ron Hubbard and the higher-ups who have left actually talking about uh, the actual myth of creation or the creation myth or whatever they call it uh, for Scientology. Raise your shields, people. Raise your shields. Here is what... Scientology's foundation is built on. Let's, not remember, let's remember, L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer. <laughs> when you get to the upper levels of Scientology, the creation myth is explained to you. The story is that 75 million years ago, people lived in a world very much like the world of America in the 1950s. People at that particular time and space were walking around in clothes which looked very remarkably like the clothes they wear at this very minute. And the cars they drove looked exactly the same. And they walked down streets that looked like these streets. It was a very similar world and similar problems, one of which was overpopulation. They had elected a fellow by the name of Zimu to the supreme ruler. There was a tyrannical overlord of the galactic confederacy named Zenu. In order to resolve this problem of overpopulation, he called people in ostensibly for tax audits and had them frozen with injections of glycol to their heart. Boxed them up in boxes, threw them into space planes. PC-8 airplane is the exact copy of the space plane of that day. They were flown to the prison planet, Tijiak. It's actually the planet Earth. And these frozen bodies were then dropped into volcanoes. And then they set off hydrogen bombs on the top of each volcano. And their disembodied spirits, these are called Thetans, floated out and they were captured and forced to sit in front of movie screens. With a 3D super colossal motion picture. They were shown images. Implants, as Hubbard would have it. Every man is shown crucified. So is the psychiatrist shown crucified. That's how he gets away with what he gets away with. The electric shocks people. And when a child is born, a thetan will leap inside the child's body at that very instant, and it becomes like the child's soul. More than one thetan might crowd into the body. Hundreds or thousands might. They're the source of all of our neuroses and fears and anxieties. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. So basically the idea of going clear is that you go through the uh, process of uh, eliminating the engrams from your body. The engrams are these thetans. Mm. And basically you're eliminating the thetans from your body to become clear. So it's just you by the end of it. And I think this is perfectly summed up by... Uh, uh, <laughs> the film director uh, uh, Haggis? Paul Haggis Paul Haggis uh, when he said that when he was shown this because you don't get shown this when you first join the Church of Scientology you only get shown this once you reach the operating Thetan level 3 
So you have to work your way through it and spend lots of money before you get up there. But once you get this, they present you with a briefcase, a locked briefcase, yeah. with a handwritten letter from L. Ron Hubbard, which explains this story. And I think his reaction was, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think he's, he summed it up perfectly when he said he felt like it was an IQ test that if he believed it, he would get kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't understand why anybody would stay past operating Thetan 3. Yeah. <laughs> Once you get presented this nonsense, you sit there and go, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how they get sucked into this. It's like they this. trap you. Yeah. Well, and they all talk about that. They all talk about the fact that it was overwhelming. They got, it's, it's any cult. They got indoctrinated into mm. this. By the time you get to operating Thetan 3, I guess you're ready to just, yeah. swallow anything that they throw at you. I mean, the fact that they would say that there was that point where they put them all into that basically a concentration camp, they would come along and they would just abuse them, mm. but no one would voluntarily leave. Yeah, They didn't want to leave. You know, it's like, I, wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jamie, it's, I think you summed it up best. This is, this is the scariest horror film that has been released in quite some time. You know, like... Since uh, The Master. Within... <laughs> Within, the Master is a great movie to watch, like right before this. Within our media, you know, and and geek culture, we we have stuff like Kimmy Schmidt, you know, that's mm-hmm. it's a comedy, it's a comedy off, off this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, we we might read horror stories that have Cthulhu cults or you know people worshiping worshiping Marvel villains or whatever, but this is real world stuff, and it. it is a deeply unsettling thing to watch this and see the extent that these people will go to to control your life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I just, I really, I recommend that uh, people probably do see this because you need to be aware of just how horrific this church is. Yeah, and the, <laughs> and the bottom line is they go to great lengths twice or at least three times in this film where... In L. Ron Hubbard's own words, and then in McCavich's own words, they only became a church to get tax breaks. That's yeah. right. You know, they don't even believe it. Mm. You know, it's just There's about getting the tax breaks. So much eye-opening stuff. Like you, you weren't kidding. Like, cause when I went into this, like I'd seen The Master a few times. Great film. The Master. Have you guys seen? The Master? I haven't seen The Master. The Master. You might want to watch. I've heard now about after it. watching this because it, it's it's based on L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. It, they couldn't originally when he wrote it. It was going to be L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology, but. Now, yeah, he char- got scared. The oh, there was frets. The character yeah. that is the the sidekick in it is that supposed Joaquin to be Joaquin Phoenix? No, no, no. no. Joaquin Phoenix is just a guy who's indoctrinated in right, and you know, and it's it's not exactly like this, but it's very, very, very similar. Um, so that's an interesting watch, and and I'd seen all the South Park episodes that had mocked Scientology. They even did an episode where they showed that origin story that we just played. To an animation, yeah, and, and had a scroll down the bottom that said, "You know, people, we're not joking. This is what they really believe." Yeah, like, you know, and so even I went in there, sort of like, "Well, okay, now I get, I'll see a documentary about it," and it was still holy crap. Like, yeah, there's so like if you don't know, like if you think you know a lot about Scientology, I can't stress it enough. This will still. If you think you know, if you think you know everything doors. about Scientology, yeah. you still don't know. Look, I, That's I, I why don't even, so I don't even think it's about knowing about Scientology. You might know the myths, but actually seeing how they're enacted yeah, ex- on exactly, people exactly is the really, the really scary yeah. thing. I just, I just wanted to say that because you had mentioned like how horrifying it is mm. and that it's a real thing that's scary. That's that's why I wanted to say that because it's like 
It is. It's like there's so much there that it will really scare you to, to fucking tears. Mm. The yeah. good news is... Like they're the, like close... They, they almost kill people. Like it's implied yeah. that they it, go... It, it certainly gets to the point where, you know, like that's the next step, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. they actually... They never came back to it. There was actually something that was thrown away early in the film and Nicholas picked up on it and said, did I just hear what they said there? During the early days of the sea organization, when basically L. Ron Hubbard was sailing around in a boat mm. because he was avoiding taxes and mm. stuff like that, he would say if anybody disagreed with him, he'd throw them overboard. Yeah. That's the period the master... Takes. Yeah, yeah. So he'd say he'd throw them overboard. Mm. Doesn't say anything about ever retrieving them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was the part that kind of caught us because they never came back to that. That was very. It was kind of subtly thrown away. The, mm. What does that supposed to be? What's that supposed to mean? I guess that they have. I guess there has to be a point as the filmmakers that they can't go past without yeah. actively slandering yeah. or, or you know being being libel uh, libelous. So. Yeah, but that was definitely there. That those people were thrown overboard, and what happened to them? Who knows? Uh, yeah, exactly. Look, uh, this is uh, there's a lot of things in this film that just are creepy. You see a snippet as well of that famous Tom Cruise video where he was losing his goddamn mm. mind. That was yeah. the, the weirdest film, and I've actually seen that. That was leaked onto YouTube a while ago. You can actually see that almost complete. Yeah, um, and that's spooky too because Tom Cruise comes across as a crazy man. It's um, interesting too because they clearly tried to be objective about everything. And then Scientology just refuses to decline. Like, well, not refuses to decline, like just declines. Yeah, declines you know? to comment. Like, to comment, yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's, I guess, see, saying they try to be objective about it all, well, I don't know that that's necessarily the case because if they'd gone to Scientologists and gotten them on, on camera, how would they have used that footage? And especially in, in a light of everything else, but any but certainly certainly it is made be. clear in the film that they they did ask the church for comment on these things, uh, you know, and, mm. and the potential was there for them to respond. And well, it actually didn't. does say at the end that the the interviews that were de- people who declined mm. to be interviewed, Cruz, Travolta, Maca- uh, Miscavige himself, yep, um, and there was one of those five in the list yeah. at the end, mm. which were all people who they talked about throughout the yeah. film. And they basically said, "You have your chance," mm-hmm. you know. Come and come and respond, you know. Um, but they all. It's an interesting thing too, because we're talking about the John Schnepp, um death for Superman. How oh, he, he he put himself. <laughs> schnep, schnep, schnep. That's my Wolverine version, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, yeah, but like, so Alex Gibney doesn't put himself in. He doesn't no. do that normally anyway. But like, it's you know, there, there isn't really a. The hammering, I don't know. Like it it's tells weird. its own story. That's yeah. that's the that, and that's the sign of a brilliant documentary. Yeah. Where basically like it just flat out tells the story of Scientology, really. It's by just, presenting it from the people yeah. who were there. And you just basically yeah. let them tell their story. It's like the oral history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is look, it is it's an amazing film. Um it's hard to get at the moment. It is actually you can get it on pre order on iTunes at the moment. Foxtel will eventually have it. It's an HBO documentary. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually a- I actually just noticed while we were sitting here that if you type in Scientology with an IE at the end into YouTube, it looks like you can get the whole film. Uh, All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Can I can I stress that this is an important film and this needs to be seen? It really is. Um and so how I, I'm gonna say for the first time ever on this show, however you can get this film, get it. Because everybody should see this film. Because Scientology, quite frankly, is one of those things where I think it's time is done and it needs to be closed down. 
there are there are people being hurt. Agreed. And if people are being hurt, it needs to be closed down. So um, that's my opinion. Boy, I've been on the high horse a lot today. <laughs> Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Good, good show for that. <laughs> let's do a little bit of housekeeping. We all got on the high horse, Dave. Don't uh, worry. We have, <laughs> we have people entering Star Trek competitions on Facebook. We have people entering uh, win tickets to Fantastic Four competitions off Ooh, Facebook. We do. Uh, our Facebook page has been getting... Uh, quite active lately. Actually, yeah. there's been a lot of good discussion going on. Uh, I suggest you uh, you jump on there and like us if you haven't already. Uh, just uh, search for Geek Actually. I'm going to do a post right now. Watch. Yeah, <laughs> recording. Live. It's with, not quite live, but uh, it's happening. My peeps. Uh, can I just say that? So we... now you'll know the time <laughs> pu- published. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say uh, a congratulations to Aaron Miller? Uh, who is the gentleman who won the Golden Books. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, because he wrote to us in such a lovely plea and was the first one in, he's also winning the Fantastic Four ticket. (laughs) Frame frame it, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. It's a collectible... Uh, we should uh, sign him. I do want (laughs) to... I do want to read this one from our friend Mario Top, who said... and. Mario, yes, you were number three, but I'm not going to send it to you because I'm not going to put you through it. We went to the movies with you last yeah, week. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to put you through it. But he says, am I one of the first three? And he said, did I win? I really, really hope not seriously. <laughs> yes, I'm not seeing it again. <laughs> so, yes, Mario, you did win, but I'm going to give the ticket to somebody else. <laughs> oh, dear. Look, uh, one of the things we didn't get to in this show that I want to in the next one is uh, shelf porn. Yes. Um, Dave has recently shown me his his Star Wars uh, board that is yes. beginning. Um, I've got uh, I've got some pretty hefty shelves at home of uh, role playing and and graphic novels, and uh, I'm looking around the studio, and you can see photos of the studio. There's a fair bit of shelf porn here. So over the next week, we'll probably stick up some photos of what we've got going on, and we'd like to see everybody else's shelf porn yeah, as well. Absolutely, yeah. show us your man caves. Show, show us your geek. <laughs> show stuff. us your amateur porn. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know what shelf porn is, I'll throw up a link for, so that you can have a look at that too. There are some amazing uh, bookshelves in the world, and, uh, and you can you stare at them forever. Even if you have a small bookshelf mm. of stuff, that's still shelf porn. Yeah, you know, that's absolutely. Right. We're not comparing. Dick sizes here. It's okay, you know. I am. <laughs> I, think, I think we might have to get a, a photo of the Wonder Woman Power Girl cabinet up there as well. Uh, I yeah. have already got some photos yeah. of that, so yeah, I'll, put, cool. I'll put them up. So, all right. Uh, yes. All right. That's it. That's that. That wraps up and smells and looks and and feels like a show. I think. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully, it sounds like one too. <laughs> Hopefully, it sounds like one. It's been another long one. It's been what over two hours. So we're we're going to get ourselves out of here. If you agree or disagree with anything that we have said today, you can always send your feedback to feedback at geekactually.com or you can send it to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash geekactually. Get on your own high horse. Get on your own high horse. <laughs> By all means, I like the old high horse. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't even yeah. know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> But we're getting, I think uh, I think the call, I think the decongestants are starting to kick in. Can, can I just mention I think one the, one name quickly? Yeah. Just because we I think in this episode we talked about literally almost everything that I love. But we, <laughs> we miss Guillermo del Toro, so I just wanted to mention that so that, that this episode's complete. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the high horse probably appears in the uh, the documentary "Looking for Dick in All the Wrong Places." <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I want to say thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Dave. Thank you to myself because I'm here as well. Everybody out there, go on Geek On and have a good week. And we'll talk more next week with Straight Out of Compton.
all that. Oh, fuck that. <laughs>